Ha ha! This is Lord Zed, and you're listening to the Grawlix Podcast. Listen carefully, you will be tested at the end of the show. Lord Zed, signing off. <sighs> Alright, listener, bear with us just a couple minutes, and then you will get good audio. We had an issue, uh, till then, here's the intro with the less good audio. This is Randy, in the future, clown technology. This is Melanie, and in the future, energy shortages will drive the world to such desperate measures that we will build a Mega Maid to siphon the gases from Jupiter for fuel. And this is Jesse. In the future, when you go to the comic book shop and you check out your pull list, it's actually a polling booth. And you have to vote for the comic that you get, just like this podcast. All right, this is Dave. And in the future, Squid will advance a lot faster and evolve faster than humans ever will. So H.P. Lovecraft was always right, kids. Worship your tentacled overlords. We're joined today by a special guest, Dave. I don't know if he wants his last name out, so I'll just introduce him as Dave. Hi, guys. Dave was on the second episode of This Podcast is Haunted mm-hmm. that we put out uh, yep. around in October last year. Right. And he's definitely... Woo! 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 He's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you've read some comics. You like horror yes, movies, um, old, old-time old radio plays, and pulp pulp novels and pulp, pulp, I guess, anti-heroes? Pulp fiction without, you know, anyone from Saturday Night Fever. Yes. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your comics habits. Did you used to read? Are you currently reading? What what kind of comics do you enjoy? Um, right now, I get more into indie comics than anything else. Uh, I've really been enjoying the stuff that Dynamite's been putting out in Boom Studios. Um, I started out on DC so I've always got a nice uh, rosy spot for them in my heart. Red Marvel, um, I've been reading since, gosh, fourth grade, easily. That was really what got me uh, going, and I've been going strong ever since. Um, I really like the old Dark Horse run in the 90s with, like, the Catalyst comics and so forth. I know a lot of people weren't big on their take of the superhero genre, but I always had fun with that. And I was a guy who was getting into, like, the initial Hellboys and Concretes when those were first coming up back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s from Dark Horse, early Mask. So I really enjoyed that, too. So we'll talk a little bit about our poll list pick, um, Bring on the Bad Guys. Uh, and even though you haven't read that, I figure you could probably jump in because much like the stories, this conversation will just kind of be generic in general. Yeah. Sounds great. Do we know what our next, oh wait, we still have half. So... Our, yeah. Our next pull list pick will be Marvel bring on the bad guys. That's right. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about chapters one through three today, uh, covering the origin of Dr. Doom of the origin of Drama Moo, Dharma Moo, the Dread Dharma Moo. Okay, and I then everyone has their own pronunciation for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then wrapping up with Loki, and then next month we'll talk about Red Skull and so forth. The rest of the, the rest of the, the origin stories in that graphic novel. Okay. Well, I apologize I'm... for all of the dogs and uh, motorcycles in our neighborhood. Clowns. 
motorcycle dog lounge? Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> They're demanding spray-on products. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so it's, a nice, it's a nice day, so they're out in full force. Sure. Well, it's okay. They could... You guys sound so much better now. Yeah. I don't. I don't mind if if you've got a Harley gang rolling down the street. It sounds way we do. Yeah, it's a little problematic for us. We're comic book readers. We don't want to get roughed up. <laughs> well, first, first, I want to jump to Jesse because you have more history with this book than we do. Oh yeah. Um, this was one of those books where we found it in a thrift shop in Tacoma, Nebraska. Uh, we would. We would go to Tacoma, Nebraska to get piano lessons. And uh, so once in a while, we'd, we'd like, we'd get to stop at the gas station and get a treat afterwards. <laughs> or we would, you know, get to go to the, was that Video Express? Was that, uh, yep, was the video store in Tacoma? And that's kind of where they were based out of. So we'd sometimes we'd rent a movie and sometimes we would hit like the antique uh, shops or thrift stores, which they were kind of like hand in hand. And uh, Bring On the Bad Guys, first edition by Stan Lee, was uh, there. And so we did uh, read it cover to cover several times. But I haven't, you know, I haven't read it in a long time. And so when this came up on the pull list, I thought, you know, I sure could uh, use a copy of that in my library. So, yeah. But funny thing is, it was kind of hard to track down because those first editions uh, with the cover that everyone kind of knows are going for a pretty penny. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I finally tracked down one of like the second or third or whatever printings. And that was a little bit more affordable, but it was not as easy to find. Mm -hmm. The old ones were easier to find. It's, I mean, I don't know how rare it is, but it's definitely not an easy book to come across. Mm -hmm. No, you've got to search out. They're all all reprints, but they're hard to find. Mm -hmm. Well, chapter one covers Dr. Doom. It's got something like, four part story or six part story. It's got basically two story arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, each one busted into several chapters. It's written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby. Um, also uh, some other people, I believe Joe, sorry, got to pull up my phone. Joe, Joe Sinat, John Byrne and Jerry Ordway. And yeah, this is Dr. Doom and the fantastic four origins of Dr. Doom. Oh, what did you, what did you guys think of this? It was, it was fun. I mean, that it was probably out of this first half, the hardest, uh, to get through because it was the longest Mm -hmm. by far. I mean, like the other two together were probably not as long as the two Dr. Doom stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was kind of difficult to, it had me, it had me really worried about getting through even just the three chapters mm-hmm. um, because the, the fantastic four stuff for me started off really rough, but it starts um, with a much earlier story. It's like mm-hmm. the very first appearance, I believe of Dr. Doom. Yeah. Yes. And it's slow and old school. Like it was, it was kind of rough, um, but it picked up for me as I went along and like you said, it is quite a bit longer than the other chapters that we read this this month. Um, so after I got through that and then blew through the second chapter, I was like, okay, this might not be so bad. But I was a little worried. The first, the the very first part, particularly, I was like, wow, yeah, this is old school comic book storytelling. For me, 
kind of problematic. It was just so, oh, it was rough. It was rough. It's cheesy. Well, it's not how, uh, it's not how comics are written anymore. Um, yeah. back then the, the, you know, it's called the Marvel method of writing comics. And, and what would happen is, um, Jack Kirby would do the art. They would figure out the story. Mm-hmm. They would hand it off to Jack Kirby. He would do the art and then they would have bubbles, uh, ready for Stan to go ahead and put, uh, the wording into. And so, it's kind of a strange, almost backwards way of writing a comic. And so it becomes uh Stan sometimes being overly verbose, uh-huh. which, you know, he's never had a problem with. <laughs> well, and I think that plays into part of my issue with, with it is that you would see what's happening in the art and then you would read the speech balloon, the word balloon, and it would tell you what's happening in the art. Yeah. And right. I'm like, I don't need the characters to tell me what's happening. I can see it. But I mean, I've read a lot of um pretty old comics, so I understand the older style storytelling. Um it even goes back to as a modern reader, it feels like talking down to the audience. But I've also got to keep in mind when I was reading through this, I had to keep in mind kids were the primary audience for these comics. So there is a little bit of like, well, maybe they won't get what's happening. So let's also tell them what's happening. Yeah, it's a little jarring now, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and everything's so uh, explained in mm-hmm. those bubbles. I mean, you, you're you reading their thoughts. And we do that in modern comics, but not to the level that it used to be. Yeah. Like, you always knew what Captain America's thinking before he's about ready to throw his shield. It's like, I think I might need to bounce my shield off of the wall. And instead of the art just showing us him doing that, he's thinking it out in advance. Mm-hmm. Like, aha! I knew that that trick would work. Yeah. Against well, the Nazis. And older movies, I mean, it's not just comics, though. Older movies would do the same thing, where they would just, it seemed they were overly cautious to make sure the audience understood what was happening. Maybe we're just smarter than people used to be. <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, the the- I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> the, theory, the, theory was- <laughs> the theory with films, for example, in this same context, is that now a lot of movies, there's quick cuts, and they don't need to explain everything, and you don't necessarily n- need the scene completely laid out with every shot, like you, you kind of get it. If you see an establishing shot, pretty much anything that's going to happen after that's probably somewhere in that scene. And they say that since film's been around so long, people have learned the language of film and that we get it. But earlier audiences didn't know this language of film. So it had to be much slower and this and that. And I don't know if there's, I don't know if that's valid, but it's kind of the same style of storytelling in these comics. Right. Which is a bit slower and here's what's happening and in case you didn't catch it, we're gonna tell you. Yeah. Well, and I was I was thinking the same thing just in a uh, like a different way, uh, in that everything kind of refer yeah, everything refers back. And this was innovative for its time. It was the first yeah. time, you know, like this is we've never seen anything like Doctor Doom. We've never seen anything mm-hmm. like uh Spider Man, we've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose that does bear a little bit more explanation. And uh, now this is all old hat. We know what uh, a superhero origin or even a supervillain origin is like. So we don't need it told to us in a in an overly uh, informational 
way. Beyond this first section of the first Fantastic Four story in here, mm -hmm. because each, each, like I said, the first story itself is divided into chapters as it was like published back when. Mm -hmm. After they get kidnapped, essentially, by Doctor Doom, or he throws the net over the building or whatever that it is that's happening. That's in the second story, right? I thought that yeah. was the first one. No, the first no. one, uh, he traps um, Sue Storm and holds her hostage and makes them go back in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what, but, okay, but yeah. But he gets her because he throws, like, this net over, over the, the building, building and then oh, commands her yeah, to come true. out. Okay. Um, that first part is the part I really had trouble. Now, even though it's part of the same story, after that, when they went back into time, I, I started to get more on board. It was a little goofy, but yeah. it was fun. Right. Um, I enjoyed the thing being dressed up as a pirate. Like, that's, like, what's happening. So I, I started to enjoy it more, even though it's still the same story, still the same storytelling style. It's because pirates are fun. <laughs> so for the for the listeners that maybe are just jumping in and haven't read the story, um, the... Thank you. Fantastic... Yeah, yeah, yep. The uh, Fantastic Four, first of all, yeah, the building, they get captured, and then... Uh, he takes Sue Storm hostage and forces the the male members of the Fantastic Four to go back in time and acquire the treasure of Blackbeard. And they, they don't know why. They don't know why they have to go get this other than that's what Dr. Doom wants in return for uh, Sue Storm's safe, safe return. And, you know, it becomes clear that uh, the, the treasure has powers that dr doom wants to tap into mm -hmm. and we also get uh, a little bit of backstory where reed richard just kind of explains to us who dr doom is we don't know too much beyond the fact that yeah you're went right to like they went to school together and he was doing weird experiments kind of thing which is convenient that they went to school together so well that that's <laughs> an easy way of like Here's why Reed Richards knows this. Yeah, no, but it just makes me think of uh, Venture Brothers and all the all the superheroes went to the same college apparently and supervillains. Right. Well, and they oh, pulled no. that directly from this because what was his name? I uh, know I still re I, I read this whole thing and I still couldn't remember I couldn't remember Doctor Doom, which is simple enough, but I kept calling him Baron von Underbite because that's what was in my <laughs> <Right>? head. Because <laughs> he's totally is. He's got his own country. They all went to school to college together. Yeah. 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 Not having read this. But being very familiar with Venture Brothers, I was mm -hmm. I had I was pretty entertained by that. Just like, oh, okay, this yeah. is where they got that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, knowing knowing that, it almost makes Venture Brothers even more funny. I mm -hmm. think is mm -hmm. when they nod back to this stuff. Yeah, because I didn't realize. I mean, there's Venture Brothers has obvious like they have their own version of the Fantastic Four, and I know they pull a right. lot from superhero stuff. But I didn't realize that early on in the Venture Brothers, they were pulling that much from superhero comics as opposed to like Johnny Quest and like the weird, the old spy cartoons. Yeah. So that was, yeah, a fun revelation. So then we get a fun twist with this whole pirate Blackbeard thing. Mm -hmm. uh, turns out that the Blackbeard was, was the thing. And he doesn't want to go back either. He likes it. Like he likes the respect of being Blackbeard better than being the thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, they kind of get into a dire situation and the thing doesn't want to go back. And really the thing kind of does a despicable thing at this point because were they going to make the other ones walk the plank or were they just sending them off in a boat? I think they were going to send them off in a boat. Okay, that's not so bad. Well, still, I mean, you know. 
and then a s- <laughs> and then there was a storm out of nowhere, a very convenient storm. Yeah, that that threw me off. I I read it and then I'm like, do we have all of this here? Because it's like, this things are happening. There's a storm and then but nothing really about it besides a sudden storm and then and then it's done. And I'm like, oh okay, well I didn't really get into that very very much, but whatever, it's convenient and it uh. Well, it was, solves the the problem we're having right now. It was a hurry up. We need to, like, this is a fun idea, but we need to hurry up and put the four back together so we can send them back. The three. So, yeah. and and apparently all it takes is a storm to uh, make Ben Grimm apologize. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Yep. <laughs> the hurricane really taught me a lesson. <laughs> oh, oh. Something I did want to mention before we get too far out of the story. In the very first part, something that I was very entertained by is the thing is reading a comic book of the Incredible Hulk. Oh yeah. And is it Johnny Storm? Is that the Yeah. The Human Torch? He says mm-hmm. that he kind of reminds him of the thing, and then they kind of get into a, a a fight, which is fun. Um but I was very amused by that, and it was also kind of a jab at at the Hulk, I think. Mm-hmm. So now I was flipping through it. I did not read it, but just looking at it, it looked like the Human Torch actually burnt the thing in this. Yeah. So they're still trying to establish the limits of their powers at this point, too, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I think in later editions, it uh, fire doesn't bother him. That or did he burn the comic book? Well, he did that a little. I remember. Yeah, I think the thing was yelling "ow" though, and so that's what hit me as interesting because you have the Rocky hided. Well, I guess we're still back in Lumpy thing, aren't we? Lumpy thing. He's not Rocky yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty early. Dr. Doom p- takes them back to like pulls them back forward through time. They've done a little switcheroo with the treasure and thwarted Dr. Doom's plan. And that's pretty much that first story. They do mention what, what is their aquatic nemesis? I don't know what his name is. Uh, Namor? Submariner or the, yeah, Namor. yeah. That what if he gets a hold of those? And I'm like, I wonder if that comes into play because I've never. Oh, surely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because the uh, magical treasure that Doctor mm-hmm. Doom was over ended up, or was after, ended up get, being you know scattered along the ocean floor. Yeah, I like that their plan was let's just take this out and put chains in the in the. <laughs> yeah. I mean the the plan was flawed to begin with, so. <laughs> But it worked, so whatever. It's Doctor Doom. Rather, rather than try to find the treasure in the present day, like Submariner could do, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's send them back in time because that's easier. Yeah, Doom's plan was kind of uh, convoluted, and you know, but that's you know, classic villain, mm-hmm. yeah. classic villainy. <laughs> what was the next story? Because I think this is the one I enjoyed quite a bit more. Um, it started at whatever the castle or whatever it is that he Von Doom Oh yeah, we Liberia. We get the origin or we kind of get the explanation of like so is this the case where Doctor Doom is dead and it's just been basically robots or new Doctor Dooms that he's kind of brainwashed? Yeah, it's uh, Doom bots are running the castle, or mm-hmm. as far as we know, mm-hmm. that in in the previous, uh, like either the previous issue or the previous story with Doctor Doom, he's uh, supposedly killed in in uh, the course of the battle or the story, mm-hmm. and then this is where it picks off, uh, you know, it picks up back up is uh, the Doom bots are 
enacting his like failsafe plan. And mm-hmm. in, in the case of my death, you will do this. Yeah. And I think this is actually here we get a more fleshed out Doom origin. Yeah. Uh it actually goes back to like you see a younger Doctor Doom. Mm. Well, I imagine they didn't call him Doctor Doom at that point, yeah. but but also kind of told in an interesting way where it's not necessarily just a flashback. You get these flashbacks by way of the Doom bots uh brainwashing the next chosen Doctor Doom, this young kid who basically they re the idea is they reprogram his brain so that he it becomes the actual next Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Remember, remember. <laughs> they're they're not very original though. That the device was called the Remembrancer. The Remembrancer. <laughs> and I'm like, really, you can't come up with anything better than that. But I did like I liked that the robots when they weren't together or with him thought they were Doctor Doom until they're around other robots. Right. And they're like, oh yeah. Yeah, they, they're was... programmed to think they're actually Doctor Doom when there's no other robots present. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then they go back and the kid gets to see Doctor Doom's life up to that point, which is all kind of strange. Anyway, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really go to other countries to know what it's like, but it seems still very medieval. Well, his his childhood for being part of the you know such a sciency. Uh-huh. Uh, comic book. Well, it is weird that, yeah, because he, you know, he lives in a, there's, there's, there's this, they have a castle and, you know, the country, they live in this place with a castle, not like, you know, England where there's old castles laying around, but like, the castle is like their main, what is it, capital type thing. And the story does feel you, like you it. You clean up your country. You've got too many castles laying around. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave these castles laying all over the floor for people to step on. Well, and it is kind of weird because then he's, there's like, a, he has a strong focus on magic. But then when he goes to college, it's like, you know, modern day American college. You go there and it just, it was, a, it was, it was strange. I know what you're t- getting at. Yeah. Like, like at, in his homeland, it was, well, I got, they got chased off or whatever. I mean, his dad. And then he runs off with gypsies because apparently they were gypsies and his mom was a gypsy witch, which is how he gets into the magical stuff. And I'm like, Okay, that's... <laughs> a little all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, and then it steps into modern day at State U, which apparently is the best school in the world. And I'm like, really, a state university is the best in the world? <laughs> that's 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 nice. And then, yeah, using science apparently to study magic or, or try to figure, figure more out. Which is interesting, but it really just kind of thrown, like, it was just thrown it together. Mm. So that's brings us to kind of the little flashback part that we got in the first story that Reed Richards had like recalled. Uh, now we can talk a little bit about the art later or now or whenever, but I like the art, but I must say, so he puts his head in this device, it explodes and his face is horribly scarred to the point where he feels he must have this iron mask seared to his face. Mm-hmm. But when they show, like, his scar, it's really not that bad. No. It's, it's like a scar along his cheek and stuff. And he's like, I'm hideous. Mm. No one should lay eyes on me. And I was like, the art doesn't really convey that. Yeah. But he's kind of a drama queen, you know? He's like, he's like, oh, they're, they were bad uh, to my... Doctor drama queen to you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, they were mean to me and my family, so the world must pay, uh, you know? 
So this is where entitlement comes from. Let's make it really political. (laughs) (laughs) It's all Dr. Doom. It's all Dr. Doom. And the kid catches a little bit of that, you know. Well, okay, so the kid who's being remembered Mm. or remembranced. Yeah, basically the Dr. Doom, like, arrogance kicks in before the programming finishes. Mm -hmm. And he takes, and he's like, well, this is enough. You know, he, t- he he's like, <laughs> I know what to do before before all the uh, memories had been put into him. Well, so. you know, to be fair, we've all been through uh, pointless training videos. And good yeah. point. <laughs> that is very much how it seems. Yeah, he's like, okay, enough of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. I'm Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe about the five hundredth. Remember, he just got tired of it. But I must say, okay, he was very arrogant and lazy because he's like, okay, now I'm Dr. Doom and I'm going to go back and do something that I already did once before. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to really, really have to try. I'm just going to do it and I'll but, do it better this time. That's it. Thought, haven't you thought, though, that most good villains should go back and try it again? Because it's usually just one little thing that throws off the plan most of the time. Well, and that is kind of the... It's like that Wiley Coyote syndrome, you know? If he just went back and tried it just a little bit harder, he'd have Roadrunner next day. Maybe, but once you've done it once, you know, people are better equipped to deal with it, too. You lost the element of surprise. I don't know. He's dealing with a team that wanted to go to piracy pretty quick. That's true. So I think he's got this one covered if he just went back and tried something again. They did touch on it, though, because that was part of his reasoning for doing it again, is that, well, last time he was working with so-and-so, and and he got Mm double-crossed, or whatever he says. So he remembered? Well, he remembered. (laughs) Yes. He remembered yeah. that much. Apparently, he didn't remember enough to know exactly, like, why his plan was not a good idea, I guess. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting that that was part of what was throwing the Fantastic Four off, is that he had already tried that plan, and they're like, it couldn't be Doom. He's already done this. He wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. Even so, though it's kind of working. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he destroyed their... I don't know what they call it. The Was it... Is that... The Baxter Building? Sure. At that time, I, I have a question about that because I have not read any Fantastic. I haven't read actually any of any of these comics. This is all that I've read of any of them. Is that their building and their building alone? Because otherwise, a lot of people died. <laughs> I think they have the top floors of that. Yeah, right. But they've so, set up like the security and all that because isn't like the security guard downstairs and like the receptionist that reads androids. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Herbie is it Herbie. Herbie came in because they didn't want kids setting themselves on fire. <laughs> that's that's where that came in with the animated series in the 60s. Well, I know the security guard stepped out, but uh, other than that, I don't know. Well, I, I got the impression, I don't know if they said it, but I got the impression there was nobody else in the building. Okay. Because it seemed like an after-hours thing. Apparently, Reed and... Apparently, they live up there? Yeah. Yes. And then we got She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Comes in with, oh, what's the guy's name? Red guy. What? <laughs> Red guy. <laughs> Red guy. <laughs> um, comes I don't in know. with him. So I got the impression that there was nobody else there, but mm-hmm. that might just be me making assumptions. Also, worth noting, the thing apparently seems prone to telling the Fantastic Four to take a leap and go do his own thing. Because at this point, he's gone. He went yeah. to go be a pirate. And we have yeah. basically <laughs> She-Hulk taking the thing's place. You know, super strong. Not mm-hmm. as irritable, though. Which is strange, because she's a woman. <laughs> I'm just sorry. <laughs> it's okay for you to say that. Uh, You're wrong. 
What? <laughs> I got to do my part. Well, they really play into like race issues yeah. before the, before the oh, you yeah. know his plot even unfolds, and that you know that's laying out a story that that comes after this. But yeah, yeah. the sh- the shocking N word lovers sign. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. I mean, they're putting forth a like anti-racism th- stance in the comic, but it was just weird to see racism portrayed in the comic book. We wouldn't even necessarily get that strong of a portrayal of racism in most modern mainstream comics. So I was really surprised to see to see that. Well, I mean, the you know, I guess they they used the N-word. But the guy himself that you meet seems like like the happiest racist I've ever seen. <laughs> He's like super cheerful. It's true. He, well, yeah, aren't yeah. you tired of all those dour ones you meet? <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like uh, the happy Westboro Baptists, you know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, he, you know, you're just you're heathens and you're going to hell. Period. But you yeah, know, no, yeah. This kid, this kid had a message of hate, and he was very happy to spread it. <laughs> Yeah, it was very strange. And then and then that whole yeah, obviously that's a plot that ties into stuff that's not in this book, later stories. And Johnny Storm gets a little violent. Oh yeah. Posters. He gets very he's angry. Like, he's like, yeah. He's a little bit of a hothead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> no, I just thought of it. <laughs> I can't, I, can't, guys. I can't wait till we get to the second part. He learned it in state U. <laughs> I guess we, we've taken a lot longer on this Fantastic Four than I expected, but then again, it took a lot longer to get through the Fantastic It's okay. Four. The other sections will be much more low-key. Uh, ah. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, some, that's pro level. <laughs> learned it in state, folks. Yeah. Um, so then we, we basically, they launch... Uh, Doom, or this kid, Doom, launches uh, the Fantastic Four's tower into space, blows up the tower, and they're floating around in space. Which was actually kind of cool because, well, I, I was like, well, they're not dead. But mm. they are also, look they also look like they're floating around in space. It was surprising to see the little kid floating out there. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> what's happening here? And, and this is where I really appreciated it because... They actually explain it all. And I'm like, I don't want to see another one where a superhero goes into space in a spacesuit. And then at the end, they're flying around in a car with nothing on, you know, <laughs> no explanations, no nothing. What are you referencing? It sounds a little bit like heavy metal. No, I get your point, though. <laughs> I mean, you threw the car in there, which is. No, it was it was it was Batman. No, I got Sammy Hagar going through my head. <laughs> Dang, I'm in heavy metal. The worry was, like, you've got these superheroes who shouldn't be able to withstand space mm-hmm. floating around in space. Turns out, luckily, Sue Storm's powers also have the, include this force field thing. Mm-hmm. By um, now, they've learned to use their powers because she can shape that stuff any way she needs to. This was my favorite part, though, because, yeah, their whole plan on, like, getting out of space back, well... Surviving in space. Back into Earth from space... Surviving in space and then reentry was like they're lucky she was there. Or well, and the Human Torch too. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that quite a bit because they. I mean, not that it would necessarily. I mean, they're superpowers, but not that it necessarily holds up to science. But they treated it very like they're like, 
well, I need you to do this and then this. And then, of course, there's going to be the heat issue. So we need uh, uh, the human torch to absorb the heat. Like, I liked I liked that. And this is a case in which he needed to explain what's happening because mm-hmm. they're in an invisible bubble. So if somebody's not explaining what's happening, they're just floating there. But this was fun. I, I, I enjoyed, like, him being like, here's what we need to do. And it was all sounded very, le- very legit. Yeah, I thought that was cool. That was my favorite part of this whole everything we've read so far. Yeah. So do we like Dr. Doom? I like Baron Von Underbite and that kind of makes me like Dr. Doom a little more. (laughs) (laughs) I like the robots because Mm. they, they crash land or don't crash. Well, kind of crash land into the castle uh, when they come back. And, uh, the kid is just like, Nope, it's not possible. I'm right. And that's just how it is. And all these robots are like, yeah, we're, like, totally screwed because this guy is a little you know? <laughs> I mean, they don't say that, but that's the third thing. Is that, is that, you need a Grolix? No, I think oh. I need a Grolix. Yeah. Oh, okay. Doom him with irony. <laughs> Sassy Doom bots. Like, yeah. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> this kid Doom. Oh. Yeah, this impatient, overconfident little bad word. Uh... Is basically screwing us all, and we can't do anything about it because we have to follow his orders. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel bad for the robots. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And since <laughs> they're robots, they can be destroyed in all manner of creative ways that you couldn't do to a, a human in mm-hmm. one of these comics. Yep, and they do destroy them in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this last story. Everyone's powers got used fairly pretty interestingly. Well. Mm-hmm. Sue's and the Human Torch's powers got used interestingly. Um, Reed, Reed uh, like, shapes himself into a spaceship, and then she fits the bubble to the Reed spaceship, and then, like, the only one that was kind of lame until the end was She-Hulk. It was like, well, until we have robots to break, and what's the chances of that? Uh, just hang out, She-Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of true. And Red Guy. And know. Red Guy. Is that Wonder Man? I was, I was trying to figure out who that was, but I didn't know if Wonder Man and She-Hulk had a thing or not. To answer your question on whether we like Doctor Doom, I think his backstory is interesting because it's very colorful. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of strange things in there. He come, he you know, co- he's kind of the ruler of this country. He lives in a castle. He's he's, bi- he's big on science and magic, and he looks kind of awesome. And he's spawned from gypsies. And <laughs> and when he decides to have this mask put on his face, of course, for whatever reason, he's got to have it right as it's pulled out of the being forged or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's red hot and then puts it on his face. So it sears to his face. Mm-hmm. That's kind of hardcore. I appreciated that. Yeah. It's heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's his problem. I bet there's nothing to do in that town. He was cheesing it a little too much. Cheesing it. And, uh... <laughs> yes. In summary, I enjoyed the second story quite a bit. It was still a little long in parts. Doctor Doom's, like I said, is kind of interesting because he's a colorful kind of villain. He looks cool. His personality sucks. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just, he's just <laughs> angry. <laughs> he speaks in the speaks in the third person. Yeah, even yeah. his ro- even his robots have that problem. So yeah, that's my feelings. Yep. Spoilers on the other two chapters. This was 
even though it was long and kind of rough to get through in parts, this was my favorite of the stuff that we read, I think. Yeah, me too. Probably mostly because of the spacey stuff. Okay. That, uh, well, so- even the even the intro to the whole thing done by Stanley, like each part has a little intro. Uh, the intros were also longer for Doctor Doom because it was basically two stories, and mm-hmm. he really had to get into you know what he liked about it. He, he even talked about how he really loves the use of alliteration, which becomes real apparent when you're dealing with Doctor Doom and Dread Dormammu, and mm-hmm. apparently that's a trick he. He used quite often the hoary hosts of Hagoth. I did not read any of that. I explained earlier when we weren't recording that my phone, because I read most of my comics on my phone, was not cooperating. So I didn't read any of the like intros to the characters, well, the main intro or the intros to the different characters. Um, so I worried that I was missing things, and I probably am, but someday I'll go back and read it. I don't know. He basically just kind of gave a little, like, here's what we were thinking when we invented the Fantastic Four. Excelsior. He was thinking, that guy drew something good. I'm going to make up a story for it. Yes. So now the, you say it, what's his name? The Dread Dormammu. The the Dread Dormammu, which makes me think of a walrus for some reason. I say Dormammu. I say Dormammu. He says Dormammu. Save the, let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. (laughs) Save the the drama for your (laughs) Dormammu. Is this the first uh, Doctor Strange comics that you guys have read? Yes. Yes. And it's worth mentioning by, written by Stan Lee, art by Steve Ditko. I do have a Doctor Strange animated show on my Netflix that I haven't watched yet, but I'll get to it. Yeah, this is the first Doctor Strange stuff I've read. This was rough for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely unlike any of the other stories. Yeah. Well, besides the fact that they just use language in in a way I'm not used to, once he goes into the, uh, I don't know, the realm of... This other dimension. Yeah. Uh... You're watching him walk through a bunch of shapes and shoot lights and say, like, incantations that make no sense to us. So I'm just going to take his word for it that this stuff is happening, because <laughs> as far as I know, it's just him, you know, hallucinating. You know, I, you, you, there's, like, <laughs> nothing that you can see to really... Okay, that's, yeah, that's totally my problem with it. And I'm probably doing an injustice to to the story here, but the quick synopsis is... Uh, the dreaded Dormammu has challenged Doctor Strange's mentor? Yes, the ancient the one. The ancient one. Mm-hmm. And so he sends Strange or Strange Ops to go deal with him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, there you go. There's the setup. Yep. I didn't mind the art except that it was, like, I liked some of the strange things, like the shapes and stuff, but I was not, for the most part, wild about the look of this dimension that was beyond description it really was just kind of some strange shapes in a lot of white space Mm -hmm. but yeah my main beef was the story was uh he comes across some creature rambles some you know blah 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 shines a light at him the creature runs away and you're like okay well this is just gonna happen again and again i guess this is exciting Mm -hmm. like (laughs) (laughs) sorcerer supreme uh flashlight I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it did. I'm not that it was totally nonsensical. It just like, you got no sense of like, 
what was really happening. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to they need to do their magic uh like avatar style where they have to do like some karate moves first and then shoot it out at them. <laughs> you know, add a little excitement in there or something. Well, and it's probably me not knowing the character well enough, but it's like I don't know this guy's limitations if he has any. I don't mm-hmm. know if him doing these things is a challenge. I didn't know if there was any challenge or real stakes other than the fact that the dread Dormammu was a big bad who could kill him or destroy him or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I think it was, it didn't seem like a challenge. He'd just come across this guy and be like, blah, blah, blah. And, and fight over and let's keep walking. That's, that's my beef. From what I understood after he, oops, sorry. After he fought the ancient one, Dormammu was going to take over the earth or whatever. So that's why he had to go and fight him because the ancient one was ancient and, and couldn't do it. Otherwise, then they're invading some other places, you know, some other world and being bad guys. And they, good guys can't be bad guys. Or can they? Because, um. <laughs> <laughs> they, Only if you're the thing and you're going to be uh, Blackbeard. Fire, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this wor- world of strange shapes and, and whatnot that attack people, there still manages to be a, a like, hot alien chick to, like, fall in love with him and be like, no, don't do this, don't do that, and explains that although Dormammu is, a, is you know, a bad guy to Earth, and even there, actually, I think he's not a nice guy, he is... The only thing hold- holding back the, mm-hmm. the mindless ones, or... Right, he, he ha- yeah. he's, like, keeping up this big shield to keep, like, these evil, chaotic creatures from... Killing everyone in in this in the, odd dimension, yeah. Yeah, you know, knowing the story you're talking about and not having read it recently, but just kind of looking at it, I know these call back to the days where Doctor Strange is still kind of the apprentice, and he still has a living master. And I think a lot of that harkens back to probably what um, Lee and Ditko and guys like that were reading, which were uh, the old magazines where you had like Shandu the magician or Mandrake the magician, kind of in that Flash Gordon era of characters where there's always the hero is always the apprentice to the higher power and always set out on the hero's quest. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that kind of harkens back to kind of that earlier era mythology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what you're seeing a lot in the story. I I will say to mention, uh, to touch back on Melanie's point about um, keeping these creatures out. I did appreciate that it wasn't just a black and white. Hey, good guy, bad guys threatening me, go take care of it. It was, Mm -hmm that setup, but then you get there and you're like, well, this bad guy does want to do bad things to my dimension or my world, but you know, taking him out is going to cause problems for this people. It, there was gray there. It wasn't just a black and white, good and bad. It was, mm-hmm. there was complication. So I definitely did appreciate that aspect of the story. And also what the mindless ones looked super cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are neat. They're the kind of like, I don't know what they're supposed to be made of, but they look like mud creatures that shot these big laser beams out of their face. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Because of the situation, you know, when they started fighting, Dormammu started losing power and the shield also lost power. So they started getting in and uh, Doctor Strange gave him some of his own powers, I suppose, uh, to put the shield back up. And so he didn't have to kill him. Which makes him get to be an even better good guy. Yeah, it's true. He he kind of figured out a way to resolve the issue without, uh, you know, fighting him, basically. Well, they fought a little bit, but yeah. I don't think any of them, either of them really got hurt at all. 
you know, they threw some lights at each other and mm-hmm. then they're like, Hey, there's another threat. So let's throw lights at these guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so let's have a mystical rave. Yeah. 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 That, and eventually the day is saved because Dormammu has a honor code. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. is, now, I, sorry, I was going to say going full circle here to both issues we've discussed so far. Dr. Doom is number two in line behind Dr. Strange to be Sorcerer Supreme of Earth because his magic craft is that good. And they also beat on these storylines that you see with Dormammu, where if Doom were to be taken out of Latveria or Doombots or psychotic children were there to rule in his stead, you would have the same problems where it's civil war and hurting the innocents. So Mm -hmm. that's a storyline that Marvel likes to hit on quite a bit, that theme. Interesting. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's not just, you know, mm-hmm. the obvious. There's, there's, that adds, definitely adds interest to stories. And it also adds that conflict for the hero, like this extra, like, well, what are you going to do? You got to mm-hmm. try to figure this situation out. Yeah, that's good. And it makes it more realistic too, because in the real world, oftentimes when you go to war, uh, and then when you leave, there's, different factions in a country that ended up having a big, long, drawn-out civil war forever. Mm -hmm. There were some cool aspects to this story. I was just kind of... I was just not... I was just kind of bored on a a big chunk of it because I was just not really on board. I I think part of our problem with it is the magic wasn't big enough. Or not, not big enough, but like there wasn't enough of a reaction... It just seemed too easy. It seemed like too easy of a thing where it didn't necessarily have any meaning as a conflict. It was like, Mm -hmm. well, here's this thing, and all I have to do is say this and Mm -hmm. flash a light or pull out this super awesome amulet that blows everything away, and and it's taken care of. And maybe I I suppose if I had read, had was more aware of the character. Mm-hmm. and his backstory and what he can do and his limitations, like I said, I would probably get a better sense of what it, that means just to be able to flash this amulet and take mm-hmm. care of the bad guy, you know? Yeah, but also, you know, it'd be nice if there were a, a more variety rather than I say a spell, some lights shoot out and whatever. If, like, you know, I say a spell and then, like, some snakes come out and go and wrap themselves around him or something like that, uh, that would make it more interesting. Y- you have a g- it, good point. It, uh... Uh, here, here's how I would describe it. Um, reading a Doctor Strange comic like this one is like jumping into a D&D session where the characters have already leveled up and we don't know mm-hmm. we don't know how he picked up that amulet. You know, like in D&D, you, you start out with your, your dagger and you're battling rats. But eventually you get this sweet amulet that does these magical powers and you have to learn what those magical powers are in order to really use them. But then later on, you don't like think about it. You just use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's kind of what happens here a little bit. Also, we're dealing with essentially like the astral plane. And, and that's right. not a thing that happened visually a lot. I was going to say Lee and Ditko are being forced to define the undefinable for the medium. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably part of the problem right there. Yeah. And I didn't mind all of it. Um, some of the art was cool. Like there'd be like some random rectangle and that obviously is kind of like they'd kind of render it with some perspective. So it looked like a 3D object. 
but there'd be like a creature popping out one side of it, but not the other side. Like there was some cool stuff done with perspective and dimensions that I appreciated. They needed more upside downstairs. <laughs> needed more yeah, upside more downstairs. MC Escher. Escher. Yeah. And those mindless ones were pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And then he gets his, uh, was it uh Mark two cape mm-hmm. at the end? Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he gets a new cape and a new amulet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have Agamotto 2.0. <laughs> yep. And, okay, so I know this is just, basically, it's the origin of Dormammu, but it almost feel, felt like too small of a snip of Doctor Strange's story for me to get a good sense of it, I think is my main issue. Anything else on this one? Nope. It was good. It was all right. I, I don't know, uh, you know, like, being a kid and reading this, Dormammu and his look uh, was really captivating. Like now, if Dormammu comes out in in anything, like uh, recently, uh, Dormammu and um, what's her name, Ilya Rasputin. Oh, uh, Colossus's little sister. Yeah, they they went toe to toe because she has strong ties to Limbo, and Dormammu is going to use Limbo as a way to you know, like he was going to take over Limbo. And then he's that much closer to taking over the realm of men again. And uh, so every time that Dormammu comes back, he's a little cooler to me. I, like I have a little like, hey, I knew who that is. Because he's not hes not a character that gets used an awful lot in the Marvel Universe because he's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And again, because of the balance that he strikes in his own realm. Yeah, he's, he's kind of cool and his Head's made out of smoke or something. I like that. I did like the look of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. I did like the look of him. And, and you know, I'll mention also, I have enjoyed the art of both uh, the Fantastic Four stuff and this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jack Kirby and uh, Steve Ditko are, you know, legends. The art is pretty solid. Uh, I guess the design of some of that dimension I wasn't super keen on, but um, the characters look cool. So, the last bit, the last story, is Loki. Loki. And that one's kind of split up into three different parts. It's like uh, the or- like how Loki is kind of adopted, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of their childhood, and then like a third part where they're a little more grown up. Okay, well, first of all, the whole... I, I ha- And again, this is all that I've read of Thor or the Asgard, Asgard stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm slightly disappointed in it just because I actually like Norse mythology and I don't like, uh, this, this, (laughs) Uh, well, well, you know, maybe not, maybe not entirely, but some of it. Yeah. I like the, the Norse Loki seems more interesting to me. The end of the story. So it starts with them with Odin Mm -hmm. battling Lofi, this giant. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're battling and, and they win. And then there's like a bundle moving and oh, it's a baby. And Odin's like, oh, it's, it's his son, Loki, and he's hit him because he's ashamed of him not being a giant. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, why is he at a battlefield? If he's a <laughs> spoilers, baby? Odin, spoilers. <laughs> and, and if he's ashamed of him and, and he's keeping him hidden, then why the hell does Odin know everything about him? He knows his name. He knows, you know, he's ashamed of him. And I'm like, good point. (laughs) You know, (laughs) because somebody's got to tell the reader who it is. And Odin was standing there. Also, these are told like way after the fact, because with the because of the fact that they were Norse mythology, 
uh, they just jump in mm-hmm. with Loki being Loki in, in the original run. Mm-hmm. And so this was kind of a one-off uh, thing that they were just doing as a little feature, a little three-part feature, which it wasn't normally. And uh, just going back and, and finally telling the reader like, okay, well, here's how this Loki is incorporated into the Thor, the Marvel Thor mythology. Right. Uh, because we didn't really tell you, you know, we just threw him in because he's Loki and he's pivotal to Norse mythology and everyone kind of knows that. I, I thought that was odd that he knew all about him and whatever. And, you know, I'm going to adopt him, even though I think everybody thought he was, was like, oh, he's going to end up being evil. And he's like, that's okay. He's royalty, so he needs to be raised by a king. Well, you know, and I'm sure he's like, well, it's not necessarily going to be evil if I raise him. So then the second story we get, we get, how old would you say? Teen? Maybe preteen? Uh, yeah. Thor yeah. and Loki? I'd say somewhere between 10 and 13. And they're watching a um, a battle or like a uh, um, just like a fight, like a competition fight. Mm-hmm. And here's where Loki for me became very boring, <laughs> um, <laughs> because the whole time you've got you know Thor being Thor, just a good guy, and then the whole time, and this happens in the next story, and this is why I say he became very boring because the next story is basically the same exact thing. Loki just thinking. Yeah, everybody thinks Thor's perfect and just being jealous. And I understand that that's Loki's part, but they just nailed, hammered that into the ground so much. I was like, okay. So, yeah, he, who was it? Thor calls, like, that guy's going to win or whatever. Yeah. Um. So then Loki's like, well, I'll cast a spell so the other guy wins and Thor will look like an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of get in trouble because it's obvious that there was some type of magical interference. Mm-hmm. And then... They let him go because Thor's Thor. Yeah. Like, you know, well, Thor's a good kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to let Loki go on this one because Thor's a good kid. Exactly. Which, which I guess is kind of entertaining because that makes Loki all the more irritated. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, and this is again, me being nitpicky, I suppose. But if you're even slightly concerned that the kid might be evil, first of all, don't (laughs) let him play with witches. Um, and then don't set him up in, don't set him up in this like competitive relationship with Thor, you know, let's have them go race here and bet on things together. You know, that's probably not a good idea. And, you know, maybe keep an eye on him just in case, just in case. And, you know, if he does do something evil, like use magic on somebody, Sure, if you want to let him go because he's Thor's brother and Thor's such a good kid, that's fine. But maybe tell somebody, hey, you know what? He's up to a little evil. Keep, keep <laughs> he's watch up on to him. a little evil. <laughs> so we've got a little bit of Asgardian nature versus nurture here, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually wrote that down later, too. Nature versus nurture. Know which way it goes there. Uh, which one's the god of psychiatry? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to mention the art on this one because this is like where the art is the most odd looking to me because on who drew these well i've got a couple names so we probably have a couple artists uh jack kirby is it chick stone and frank gs gsoia i'm terrible with names it looked like they were having trouble doing young boys faces 
there was a couple panels where Thor and Loki, as 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 teens or preteens, their faces looked like creepy adult faces on a child's body. For the most part, I liked the look of a lot of the Asgardians, but and this and it's just with how they handled young Thor and Loki looked freaking weird. And Loki's face is super creepy, and not necessarily in a like he's a bad guy creepy. It just looked weird. That was the low point for the art on, in my opinion. It just looked very strange. He had Professor X eyebrows at a young age. Yeah, yeah he did. He did. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Other than that, I mean, I like I like the look of the the Asgard stuff and stuff. So mm-hmm. you apparently get a monogram tunic when you're a teen in Asgard as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially if you're as good as Thor. Yeah. Curse him. Forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I guess we could move to the. The third and final installment. Mm-hmm. We get Thor and Loki a little bit older. They are fighting... Was it just a giant or a hill giant or something like that? Just a hill giant? Well, <laughs> it's just a hill Run giant. Into often. <laughs> yeah. Man. Oh, you know. That Come across that every, all, every just day. Just sprayed for those. <laughs> you know, like, like, the evil in this one is Loki's like... I'm just going to pull a shaggy Scooby and hide behind this tree. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's... <laughs> that's the only... That's, isn't that the main evil that he does in this one? No. It, well, I mean, besides the fact that... Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to like go over here and let them fight it out. But then uh, at the end of the fight, when they basically had won, they were chasing down the bad guy and he had magically disappeared. But... Oh, right. Which was really strange because this guy that, you know might be evil and dabbles in magic is like i'll stay behind and look for him you guys go ahead and no one's suspicious but um that's true it is kind of at this point uh, he's he's just very low key yeah i'm just gonna keep doing that <laughs> it's because he just internalizes it because you sh- he doesn't ever say it out loud he's just constantly thinking mm-hmm. thor <laughs> sucks i'm so jealous of thor mm-hmm. and that's so he's like the emo god. Go yeah. big time, yeah. 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 But he like he obviously obsesses about it because he says at the end, or thinks at the end, I suppose, uh, this is just the first in one of my plans to, you know, defeat Thor and take over mm-hmm. and whatnot, so Yeah, I mean, I know that's Loki's part is that that's kind of his thing. You know, he hates Thor. Thor's the chosen one, the sp- the good son and all that. And so Loki's got that whole syndrome. And not just that. Uh, I don't know if he's aware at this point, but he's supposed to be a giant. So he's got some kind of dwarfism <laughs> issues. That's <laughs> true. And he's got giant envy. Uh, yeah. And, and like, look, look at history, like Napoleon, like all these like really big, um, you know, conquerors are really tiny guys. It's, it's all a complex. faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Professor X eyebrows. Mm. Unless they're on Professor X, no good. Sign. No good. Something I hadn't thought about till just now, as we're discussing it, that I guess I kind of appreciate is the thought process behind Loki's hiding behind because he's waiting behind because you know he doesn't want to help him win and all this and that, and he's going to have his devious thing. I think it's interesting that he would be doing this thing that seems very cowardly, but in his mind. He's doing the smart thing. So I think that's kind of actually some interesting, that's a little bit of interesting villain writing. The -hmm. idea of, you know, what makes the best villains is villains that can justify their own actions. They're the hero of their own story. You Mm -hmm. know, we talk about that quite often. Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about that, but that's actually kind of good. 
You know, I, I like that outside of just Thor, you know, <laughs> Jesse, I wanted to ask you, uh, I'm sure it's elevated because of nostalgia, but how was reading it now after all these years? I knew it would be a little bit tougher because I have, you know, like I have several volumes of the, of the Stanley runs and I've gone back and I've read some of the early Avengers stuff and, uh, yeah, it was it was harder to read. I mean, it's it's just a different style of of storytelling. But it, you know, at the same time, it was fun because you, you're going back to seeing some of these characters that really don't even get they don't really even get a lot of uh, page time anymore. Mm. You know, like these are so classic a a character that any any more will kind of relegate them to just super big story arcs. Like you don't see it used to be where you'd see Dr. Doom show up in uh, first, he was kind of the fantastic four villain, but he would show up in Spider-Man. He would show up in the Avengers. He'd show up kind of everywhere because he was so popular. He's the new guy and, and, you know, readers wanted to see him. And now you see him. I mean, you'll see him, but he's, he's not as prevalent. And when he is, it's a big deal. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun, but, but yeah, it's a little harder to read because mm-hmm. Stanley is is quite verbose, and he's he, the, the, there's some redundancy in the storytelling where you're gonna see it, you're gonna hear him say it, and you're gonna also read him thinking it. Mm-hmm. I've I had a lot of criticisms of this, which I could probably get roasted for online pretty easily because it's they are classic stories. But I think that's in a way acclimatizing to the time period that a lot of these are taken from. And next month, when we talk about the other stories, I probably won't necessarily have those criticisms because I was going to say, is it, did you find that it got easier to read as we went along? Like was this third chapter, I guess for lack of a better word, was this third chapter easier? I I, first chapter. Yeah, no, I definitely think, I think by the end, I think I had got it gotten easier by the end of the fantastic four chapter. And even though I wasn't super thrilled with the stories in chapter two and three, no, yeah, I think it definitely did. Because at first I was like, whoa, okay, uh-oh. Um, I don't <laughs> think I was ready for this. Well, that's one of the reasons that I suggested we should probably break it up. And that wasn't just because of page count. It's, it is uh, something you got to get used to. So I don't think I'll necessarily come to the podcast with the same criticisms. Next time I'll be able to be a little bit more objective about the stories and in this case i just wasn't thrilled with the stories in chapter two or three but the fantastic four stuff i thought got pretty good so i'll be the same next time you're gonna be the same (laughs) yep you'll be curmudgeonly (laughs) anybody else have final thoughts question for you guys so reading these origin stories on these villains two questions here you talked a lot about the heroes that appeared in the stories so did you feel that the villains got highlighted enough as they should have for origin stories uh, and my second question is, besides North mythology that we see in Loki, what did you did you feel that Lee and company went back and touched on any tropes that we know of from like mythology or old storytelling, uh, you know, from Western or even Eastern history? Or do you feel like they really tried to invent something new here? To address the last one first, I'm not sure how much they in. I mean, I guess. Some of the Doctor Strange stuff, as for the Norse stuff and and Thor and Loki, you don't get, in in these stories anyway, 
it's hard to set, get a good idea of the world they're building outside of Odin finds Loki, Loki hates Thor. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say how much new stuff, how much they're bringing and how much they're pulling. And what, well, no, in, in a setting that, first of all, uses old, old gods, even if only by name, but also it's, yeah, it's like a, a bad seed and like, you know, competitive brother type thing. And that's like the oldest story. I guess one of the reasons I asked that part was uh, what I had noticed uh, was when you guys were talking about the Doctor Strange story arc in particular, mm-hmm. it really struck me as a knight errant quest, you know, mm-hmm. something that would go back to old Saxon tales. And it just really struck me as that. And despite your criticism of it initially, it really seemed like you guys were really kind of digging that part. And and what and Doctor Strange is the knight, what he had to face and the decisions he had to make. Oh, yeah. Like the... The quest, I guess if you want to call it the quest itself, was pretty awesome. I just, you know, yeah, like I said, I wanted some a little variety in, in the happenings. Would have been better. But other than that, yeah, I, I love that type of, you know, I have to go and accomplish this to, you know... Uh, kind of, yeah. I, I keep wanting to say level up, but I know that's <laughs> not the appropriate... Um, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. My fault on that, yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that we talked about the super the heroes a lot probably in most cases more so than the villains yeah. with the fantastic four you've got a lot of doctor doctor doom in there uh that first story was a lot more fantastic four doctor doom was just the villain mm-hmm. um you know he just kind of put him in this situation and you're along with them on the, in the second story uh about doctor doom's origin we get a lot more where we're actually with doctor doom well kind of his memories so that felt more like a fleshed out villain origin mm. the the dormammu stuff or however you want to pronounce it we're for the most part like we're introduced to there's this this bad guy or well not necessarily this bad guy but there's this entity he's very powerful mm-hmm. and then after that we're along the along for the ride with the hero mm-hmm. so it didn't necessarily feel like a villain origin it was just like it was his first here's a- this character yeah it's like here's his first appearance but it's not how he became you know, the, the big bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. And then Loki's was almost, almost felt like we're too much along with Loki. And that was my beef because not, not my beef with the storytelling, but my beef with the character is that he was just so one note that I didn't really want to be along with Loki for that ride, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'd rather be Loki than Thor because he's a blonde. What? That's <laughs> weird. Oh, you know, I think uh, also, and and this was in some of the stuff that uh, Stan wrote in between the the bits was that the you know I think one of the reasons we focus on the heroes so much, even though these are uh, villain origins, is that a good villain really makes the hero more interesting. Hmm. If it wasn't for a really good villain, we wouldn't care so much about the hero, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The more challenged they are, the more you see how great they can be. So is that it for Bring on the Bad Guys right now? For now. Yep, put a pin in that one. Okay, I wanted to ask real quick, because it got me thinking about what you guys were just saying about interesting villains make or villains make the heroes more interesting. Melanie and I finished Daredevil last night. Oh. The series? And I don't have to get into spoilers in case you haven't finished it yet, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, I'm still on like episode 
six, maybe. I okay. think I'm maybe, maybe the episode six. But I, what it made, why that popped in my mind is the show's in, I think, I think one of the like big successes of the show, I find in the show, you know, this Netflix series version of Daredevil, Matt Murdock is interesting, but I think they made, they did a much better job at making the Kingpin infinitely more interesting. Yeah. I think he's such an interesting character that he almost, not that he outshines Matt Murdock, but he carries the story along. He carries the story. Yeah. Like I was really surprised at how much we're along with him and how kind of human, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. The writing I think is done really well. Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin or, or Wilson Fisk is, is maybe, and I can't say for for certain, but it seems like he's as human a, a kingpin as I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like you get more, you get m- more of kingpin as time goes on, and and he's a really a pretty old character. So there's a lot of kingpin to be read, but in the show, you get to see some of his insecurities, and that is not really something you ever see of the kingpin in the comics. Yeah, he's always very on top of it he's you know he's the untoppable care you know kingpin of crime and uh in this in this show you get to see him like like the courtship of uh vanessa fisk Mm -hmm. it's like you get to see him kind of sweating it a little bit Mm-hmm. At least from where I'm at, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I just thought it was interesting. I think that shows one of that show's best, like greatest strengths, is how interesting they made the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, almost more interesting than Matt Murdock in a way. Mm-hmm. Like his character is just flawed, but it's just very fleshed out more than I would have expected. Well, it's because they hired D'Onofrio, and he makes everything better. You know, and I like D'Onofrio in it, but I almost feel like at times he's too D'Onofrio. But it still works. It still works. <laughs> because uh, we we were talking about villains. Have you guys seen the picture of Jared Leto's Joker? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I'll let you go first. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people are turning their nose up to it right now. But I remember them turning up their nose to Heath Ledger as well. And I think he That's made the movie. That's a good point. You know, at this point, when it comes to uh, movies that are made with comics as a source material, I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, I figure I'm just going to go in with the attitude of let Leto do his work because uh, I think he's a pretty good actor and we'll see what he brings to the role. And I'll probably have more fun that way if I just go in munching my popcorn and just looking to have a good time. For It was probably the pose in the picture, but I was totally thinking, this is like a Macaulay Culkin at a Halloween rave. <laughs> oh, no. no um, now I can't unsee that. <laughs> well, you know, like, m- my thought on it, it, initially I wasn't really thrilled with the image, but then I started to think, uh, like, all the promo shots we've seen of of Jared Leto is, has been very referential of very popular comics covers. And so, you know, like, I wonder if this is just a promo shot and, and it's just mm-hmm. referencing uh, a famous comic cover where, you know, I mean, the comic cover that they're referencing, he's got all the ha ha ha's in the background. It's mm-hmm. very classic. And so I wonder if those uh, those tattoos aren't even a part of the character necessarily, but just part of a 
of a promo shot mm. kind of a situation to to reference that, but in a new way. And and who knows? Maybe he'll have all those tattoos. Uh, the one, the one that kind of bugged me was uh, the the letter J under yep. his left eye. Me too. I was like, I, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if that's a tattoo that the Joker would get. Mm. Not that I know what the Joker would do, but yeah, it seemed a little a little too. I mean, like he's self-aggrandizing, but n- not in the way where he, he would like draw pictures of his face on his body i'm not not really sure how i feel about it i don't like it but at the same time there's interesting i don't mind the jared leto no eyebrows look for Mm -hmm. joker um he's got like a slender kind of face and i I don't think he's a bad cast for the character necessarily depending how he plays him some of the tattoos i don't mind i don't like the little j tattoo i don't like the damaged tattoo on his forehead Seems a bit much, but yeah, I'm, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to say from that image, but I'm kind of conflicted on it. It's, it's tough. I can't imagine being in the, the position of the writer, whoever's got to write this, you know, you've got to follow Heath Ledger who had to follow Jack Nicholson and you've got to somehow reinvent this character Mm -hmm. in a way that audiences are going to react to and they are reacting. Yeah, that's true. With all these, with all these DC movies coming up, I'm just kind of, I mean, I'm excited to see Batman v Superman, but I'm just kind of like cautious. I'm not down on it. I'm not super pumped. I'm just kind of like very curious what they'll be and hoping they're, they're not crap. Um, because I'm a DC reader, you know, mm-hmm. I'm right. like primarily a DC reader. So I want them to be good. And the Marvel movies are generally pretty awesome. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting to see what they are. Is my th- yeah. look at it. Well, you know, I'm a bit of a negative Nancy and I, I, I'm wary of this Joker, but no matter how bad it is, it, Ben Affleck's Batman. So I'm already disappointed. I think that was... <laughs> Ben Affleck as Batman was the most worked up I got. And I think it's kind of like the whole high, it's like a high water mark. I think, I don't think they're going to get me more riled up than that. So anything else at this point, I'm just indifferent. I'm like, mm, okay, let's see what happens. Well, I think Affleck's uh, Daredevil already stole most of the Batman cliches anyway. So he's been doing the role. That's true. <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. true. You know, I was going to say too, on the Joker tattoos, since this is Suicide Squad, you know, this is generally a team that goes in and does black ops stuff. And so they're probably looking to make the Joker look more street rise, more ready for a fight mm-hmm. than what we've traditionally seen him as. You know, not the Cesar Romero cackling Joker in the background while the thugs are attacking everyone. This is someone who's now being forced to go into the front lines. So I could see a knife wielding Joker coming in. Well, and with the tattoos and the little J tattoo about where they would put a, peer, a teardrop tattoo. Uh, little J. Um, uh, they, it definitely seems like it would be a more thuggish result of prison time type Joker that they're going for. I think they're also going to probably, I mean, and this is just pure speculation, but the fact that Harley Quinn is, is going to be a huge element in this movie too. I think we're going to see more of a Bonnie and Clyde situation there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which could be interesting. I'm interested right. to see a live action Harley Quinn Joker portrayal, like what their relationship would be. 
mm-hmm. in a movie, in a live action movie. Yeah. It could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think we can all agree that we have seen our fair share of superhero crap come out mm-hmm. it's just we know there are terrible movies out there um anyone seen steel you yeah, know yeah, I, right. shaquille o'neal portraying who i thought was a great character in dc comics and i still like this character but it's a terrible movie so i think just kind of going in with the attitude of it's going to be what it's going to be and let's see what comes of it without you know holding it to an expectation is probably the best thing we can do at this point with mm-hmm. any movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really the casting choice i was a little more squeamish about in suicide squad is uh Will Smith is dead shot because I don't feel like Will Smith has given us a, a really convincing villain yet. Yeah. That's a uh, good point. So I'd like to be proven wrong with that. I mean, I'd like to see Will Smith step up and, and really uh, feel, feel like a villain for a change. His son knows karate. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, or Kung Fu. Kung Fu. Sorry. In, in a karate kid. Movie. Yeah. 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 But his kids read like quantum physics for fun. So <laughs> or at least they say they do. Man. Yeah, I don't know why, but I'm not... I'm just not thrilled about Will Smith cast in anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Will Smith. I I think he can be a decent actor. I just... I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled to hear him... I didn't even care who he was cast as. I just wasn't thrilled to hear him in there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like... It's messed up, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you know, I guess he's like the most superhero-y of the Suicide Squad, but he's, yeah. Did you just make Deadshot the Polly Shore of the Suicide Squad? <laughs> Everyone's like indifferent to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's wheezing the juice. He's shooting the weasel. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took it way back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we stunned him into silence, yep. folks. You know, you know what that was? You know what that was right there? That was dead air. Yeah, it was uh, dead yeah. air. Our new segment, Dead Air. Every other episode, we'll talk about a new trade of The Walking Dead. Since this is the first, we're starting at the first with Volume 1, Days Gone By. Covers The Walking Dead issues number 1 through 6. Going right back to the beginning. Written by Robert Kirkman. With art by Tony Moore. Who wants to... T- I guess we talk about our introductions to this, the Walking Dead comic. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of popular. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> a, a bit. Heard, heard about it a bit. I think... Now, I have not read that far into the series, but I think this is the third time I've read this particular book. This is only the second time that I've read it. Mm-hmm. I think most people know the general story because mm-hmm. it's pretty close. A lot of aspects, particularly the first couple issues till he joins up with the camp, mm-hmm. are very close to the TV show. So it plays pretty close, plays out pretty close to that. Yeah. In fact, going back and rereading it, that kind of surprised me how quick it got into it. It was like by the third page, he was waking up in the hospital unawares of what had happened in that, you know zombies are everywhere you know me too even though like i said i've read this i think twice before this last read i was also surprised at how quick they went through the whole this is rick he's a cop he gets shot like i thought i thought that was took up a little bit more time no Mm -hmm. they're quick to it they're just like we're not gonna waste any time it's zombie apocalypse yep so yeah which came you know this is a chicken or the egg question but which came first uh 28 days later or 
the Walking Dead comic. It's close. I need to find out because it's yeah, it's the exact same setup, but it's got to be pretty close. And I, I kind of you know like my aversion to origin stories uh, is going to be telling in this, but I kind of like that where we just jump in. Like that's one of the things I like about. 28 days later is like, boom, we're in it. And now we have to figure things out alongside our protagonist. Same thing with Rick is like, well, he doesn't know what's happened. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure it out alongside him. Okay. 28 days later came out in 2002. Yeah. I don't don't know if that, I don't know why it matters really, but (laughs) I just like, I wonder if one references the other is basically where my question's going on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe they were both at a party and somebody's like, well, what if? And then they both were like, yeah, I'm going to run with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's coincidental, it's one of those things. I mean, it happens sometimes. Uh, October 2003. Oh. So, 28 Days Later came first. But when you're talking about a comic book that's run as long as it has, you know, stealing the beginning is small potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and, and, and it's a strong first act. It, yeah. It, yeah, perfectly. And, and from there, it 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 deviates from that, um, from 28 Days Later pretty quick. I mean, other than the fact, yeah, it's zombies, but... And I'm not sure they're even really technically zombies in 28 Days Later. No, they're infected people. Yeah. But one thing reading these, I'll just like some general things before specifics. One thing reading this, there was kind of, in the early 2000s, the zombie boom, the reboom, because zombies had kind of been like low-key, you know, not low-key... Uh-huh. The zombies were like, back, I dude. hate Thor. Um, <laughs> I want to say since like... Well, that would make a good zombie movie, I think. <laughs> zombie, yeah, yeah. Um, since the, I want to say the 80s or so, there was mm-hmm. kind of the zombie... The 70s and 80s, zombies were yeah. riding high. And then it they, then it was not that popular until 28 days later, they remade uh, Dawn of the Dead. There's kind of that big boom again. So this came out about that time, which makes sense. Sure. Zombies are popular again. And chances are Robert Kirkman is probably a zombie fan anyway. Mm-hmm. I would hope so if he's got tied into writing a zombie story for so long. He's awful sick of it by now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I found reading this and then thinking about some of the other zombie comics I've read since then. You know, zombies are popular. There's lots of zombie comics now. This still kind of stands out like it. It's not just that it's a zombie story. Like, it's pretty well done. The writing's pretty good. The art is awesome. And it, you can, there's, there's a lot of humanity as opposed to some of the other zombie stuff I've read where it's just, you know, it's just a zombie story. You know, there's people there. They're either cliched characters or they're just flat. Um, it's just not that, just not a, it's just not very good. And then this is like, it's not just that it's a zombie story. It's actually a pretty good story. I don't think it's a zombie story. I think every good story involving zombies, they're the backdrop. I think it's, it's it's a humanity story, and it just happens to be set in this world with zombies. Mm-hmm. I yeah yeah I I would totally agree with you. I would say that th- that's the only kind of good zombie story. I yeah. agree, definitely. Well, I think what sets this one apart from some other uh, zombie stories is that. In other zombie stories, they're kind of like dealing with one big theme like survival or, you know, like humanity at its core. And this one seems to feel like it's dealing with um, interpersonal relationships, like how do we relate to people? And especially when uh, things stop getting nice 
and start getting real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, the real world was really a beta test for The Walking Dead. I see it. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, there is some drama. There's some drama. If Carol would just pay her rent. <laughs> Sorry. I'm jumping to the TV show already. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Well, these first couple issues, I mean, it's, it's Rick. He gets out and goes back to his house. Nobody's around. He comes across. I'm terrible with names, so I can't remember the characters' names. Morgan. But the, Morgan. Morgan and Dwayne. Yep. He comes across them. I just want to say here, like, I'm kind of bummed that Tony Moore is only on the first six issues because yeah. I love the artwork in this whole, in, mm-hmm. in at least six issues. I love how uh, different he does. I mean, it's, it's all him, but his uh, people versus his zombies mm-hmm. are really strikingly contrasted. Like yeah. his, 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 uh, you know, his Rick is very square jaw, almost like Disney Prince kind of, uh, handsome leading man kind of look. And then you get to the zombies and it's just like flies and, and flesh hanging off. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, at times the, the living humans, I mean, they're always look not necessarily super stylized, but they do. You mentioned like Disney prints, almost clean lines, kind of simplified. And then, yeah, zombies are just, they're gnarled. The flies, the flies are a big thing looking at it yeah, because they're, they're all over. Um, mm-hmm. Like how many, how many times was he just sitting there drawing these little tiny flies all over these zombies? Yeah. Oh yeah. The gore looks fantastic. I like that it's black and white. I think the black and white, white look works really well. Yeah. Is it still black and white? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. All except for like one chunk of one issue. But that's a whole nother but thing. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have not read that, but I, I I know the backstory behind what she's talking about. How far into the series is that? Will we get to that eventually? I don't know how far are we reading. I don't know. It'll take us a year to get through six trades, so probably not far enough. The first issue is just him waking up, discovering the whole, you know, zombies happened, which waking up alone in a, in a hospital and then being attacked automatically, kind of, you know, must be very rough, but he seems to take it well, but he's... A cop, so maybe that's mm-hmm, that. And then uh, gets whacked in the head by Dwayne, and then he wakes up and you know they introduce him, introduce themselves and whatever. Morgan, by the way, I don't know if he's just lucky or if he's smart and they're downplaying it, but he like was like all the right moves. You know, be quiet and stay out of the city. And you know, several I, there don't were a couple use the of gun; it'll attract them. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah, he's got his stuff down. Off the bat. Mm-hmm. When that's a, I think that was a clever way to work in some exposition without it feeling like exposition. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Morgan knows what to do. And, and that kind of gives us some of the zombie rules before we, before we even hit Atlanta. So he had that little, like, escape from the hospital, I suppose. That was hard for him. But on his way, right before he meets Morgan, is when he sees the, uh, like, really torn up zombie next mm-hmm. to the bike. And I think that's maybe when he really realizes the situation. And they did that in the show, but I really like that moment mm-hmm. because, okay, that is him like interacting with the zombie, but it is such like, like you get the like weight of how it 
hits him emotionally is yeah. that he makes a point to stop later and mm-hmm. shoot it. I was going to ask about that because it's not the first time he confronts zombies. That's mm-hmm. actually in the hospital where he's being attacked, where I would think that would be the most horrifying moment as opposed to one just laying there, the bicycle girl. And I noticed they lend a lot of weight to her, and he even makes it a point to come back and, mm-hmm. so to speak, free her. Mm-hmm. So why do you think there was so much weight put on that one particular zombie as opposed to any of the others? I think in the hospital it would be horrifying, but at that point you're – I think there's the panic and the adrenaline and the initial shock. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's till he comes across her that he – like it sinks in that this was a human. Mm-hmm. Look what's happened to this person. What is going on here? I think that's when it like logically sits in. Or starts to set in, like, mm-hmm. what these, what's happened to these people and, like, how, and that she is particularly, like, I want to say, is she just the top half of, she's just like the, I don't, I'm I believe not, that was off the TV series. I think you see the whole thing okay, in the comic. Okay. Yeah, her body is there, but I'm, it's like really mangled or desiccated. It's, 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 it's messed up. You know, what I have wondered is in the hospital, he's a resurrected for all intents and purposes, walking among the resurrected. So there's one story arc. By the time he confronts her, he's alive and Set is alive where she is not. So is that where there's a split in the road in the storylines? Is that why she gets the weight as opposed to him going back to the hospital and cleaning that out? When it's also, isn't it a, a zombie little girl or is it? I think that's an adult at it the is bike. It's an adult. Yeah. They don't. Do they do the little girl at the they, gas station they in the don't comic? Do the, no. I was really surprised that that was in the TV show and not the comic book. Mm-hmm. Because for a TV show, that is particularly hardcore. Yeah. And the comic, Agreed. I was a little surprised. I was like, oh, that wasn't in here? Well, I think they needed to set themselves apart. Not only that, but kind of try to one-up it so people that were fans of the comic would still be interested in the show. You were talking about him, his reaction to that one zombie uh, yeah, he had the lonely teardrop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like him on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, him alone. The art looked nice. I like the atmosphere of him traveling alone. Mm-hmm. They've got, you know, after he parts ways with, uh, did you say Dwayne and... Morgan. And Morgan. The image that's now kind of the iconic, well, you know, whatever, iconic image from the show of him riding into Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, along the freeway and the cars and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got all that. I, I I don't know. I think I like The Walking Dead when it's people alone out, mm-hmm. stranded somewhere, you know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but I like that anyway. Yeah. And the first couple issues are very much just that. At the end of the first issue, he, he goes with Morgan to the police station. He gets cop car, gives him a cop car, gets guns, gives him guns, and then takes off. And the second one uh, starts with him running out of gas in the police car. Mm-hmm. And so then he wanders to buy a farmhouse. Um, and that's where he finds the horse. And uh, the family inside had... Yeah. Yeah. You know, suicided. So... Suicided. Yeah. Um, uh, so were they, were they a squad? <laughs> they were a squad. <laughs> well... A suicide squad, except they probably didn't feel very cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But he, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair. <laughs> that's, that's fair. But yeah, he has a he has quite a reaction to that, and then mm-hmm. rides the, as I like this part as he's riding the horse into Atlanta. He's talking to it, 
And I'm like, that's fantastic, because that's totally what a normal person would do. Yeah, I like that, because he has been out alone on the road, and here's an actual living creature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's talking to it until he bums himself out Mm -hmm. by talking about his best day. Then he rides his horse into the city. Here's another, a little bit of an issue. I mean, he's been handling it well and whatever, and maybe he doesn't know entirely what's going on, but he should know enough that when he sees the first zombie or whatever... Be like, hmm, I'm riding into a city, a city, and there's a zombie. Maybe I should be a little cautious. And he really is not. Hmm. Yeah. But just, we are also glazing over the fact that when he talked to Morgan, that Morgan had said that Atlanta and areas like that right. were supposed to be safe zones at this point. So at this point, he's probably still thinking it's just a straggler on the outskirts. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping forward, they, after he gets to the camp, he's shaking mm-hmm. and... I'm not going to worry about spoilers, but Lori's like, you're shaking. And he's like, I hadn't really taken any time to be scared. I've just been going, basically, is what he said. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting, but it also kind of, you know, a little bit more reason why in these early issues he's not, I mean, he's reacting strongly to things, but he's not just terrified the whole time. Right. Because he's just... And Kirkman gives him a reason to go into the scary house. He's looking for Lori and Carl. He's mm-hmm. desperately trying to find his family, so he's doing the stupid thing that no one in their right mind would do, mm-hmm. and he's got a reason to do it. When he's in a, he's in Atlanta and, you know, uh, walks into the zombies, they start eating the horse, which is sad. And then Glenn comes and rescues him mm-hmm. from the zombies, and then they start talking, and well, as they're escaping, they're talking. And, you know, he he's like, where have you been for the last month or whatever, and all that. And toward the end of that, they bring up uh, Lori and Carl, and he's like, well, if they were here, then they're gone. I hate to have to you know, mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. it this way or whatever. So not only is he dealing with all all of whatever, but right before he gets there, he, he's thinking they're dead probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he sees them, not only is he you know, not in danger, but it's like such a relief that mm-hmm. it's going to be a super emotional time. Well, he gets to the city and finally sees the scope of things. And then, yeah, at that point, reality starts sinking in but then yeah he you know is met he meets back up with Lori and carl so i think it's interesting to put that like it's really a turn page to where you're like you got the one character telling rick or you got glenn telling rick they're probably dead Mm -hmm. and then you go turn page Mm -hmm. and they're not they're right there i you know i don't know i think that's kind of interesting yeah it kind of bombs out your expectations, too. Because if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, oh, okay, now I see what the story arc's going to be. And they end it in the turn of a page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's done. And now when he gets to the camp and meets everybody, there are less people in here than in the in the show. Are there? Yes. Several less. Yes. No T-Dog. Nope. There's oh, um, T-Dog. Shane, Alan, and Donna, who I don't know. There are a couple with the twin little boys. Dale, Jim, the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Carol and Sophia and Amy and Andrea, and that's it. Well, who else was in the show? Uh, T Dog, um, Merle and uh, oh Darryl. yeah, Carol's Carol's husband, Carol's husband was still alive or yeah. was alive. Um, uh, there was that one lady I don't remember her name, the black lady that left them at the CDC or stayed at the CDC. Oh yeah, there was just a there was a bunch of extra people. He meets all of them, and then Dale. He's not necessarily bad-talking Shane, because he makes a point to say, oh, he's been really helpful and whatever and saved everybody. But he's like, <laughs> he's had his eye on on, uh, on Lori. And he, 
out of nowhere and really quick, actually. Yeah, like as soon as he got there. It seemed like, yeah, one of his first, like, alone interactions with Dale. And he's like, you know, watch Shane. He's eyeballing your woman. Mm-hmm. Um, he just throws it out there. And, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting because obviously I knew it was coming. But there there was, like, no lead up to it. It was just like, hey, boom. Mm-hmm. Here's this little thing you got might have to deal with. And then they go hunting. And they find a zombie eating a deer. And that's the end of that issue. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Which issue was that? Three? Uh-huh. Um, there was something in three I have a note of that I okay. wanted to mention. Interesting moment with Carl and Sophia where they're playing in the dirt mm-hmm. and talking oh, about, yeah. you know, she's like, you know, do you think my daddy will show up? And, he, and Carl's right. just like very brashly. Of course, he's a kid. Just like, ain't your daddy dead? And, you know, there's kind of a sad moment. She says she misses daddy and you mm-hmm. know well your came yours came back and blah 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 i like that moment i just mm-hmm. want to note that interesting do we feel like at this point kirkman's set up the rules to this universe well because i mean we're what three issues in now mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. we understand how this world works what these zombies are about what they can what they cannot do what they're after they followed i think general zombie rules to where you kind of assume things and they don't deviate from the traditional Slow zombies. Don't get bit. They do mention that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Glenn puts a lot of that out. This is before they go back into Atlanta, too, mm-hmm. where, the, where they we discover that the smell is part of it. Right. Rick kind of intuitively picks that one up real quick. Yeah, he does. He, he yeah. just, that's like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I notice we, we have animals are consumed, but we don't see animals being turned yet. So this seems to be strictly a human thing is what I noticed too. Mm-hmm. Although when, I mean, yeah, the, or at every, least at every, this point, I don't know how the rest of the series goes. Every animal that we've seen them eat that doesn't, is eaten. Um, but they do make a point when, when they see it, they're like, should we get the deer from him? And he's like, I don't know if we, we want to eat that after right. it's, it what could kind be. Of diseases are in this thing now. Right? right. They do establish the bite. Don't get bit. You'll get infected. And I believe they also established that, I could be wrong, but whoever dies comes back. Uh, uh, not yet. They haven't established or, I don't that know. Yet? No. I don't know. If, actually, no. Well, I, I would think that would go with the don't get bit thing. Because Glenn says you get bit once, you're done. Well, I mean, as opposed to, like, being in- infected. Gotcha. I thought they had established that. In the You're thinking of in the show, not in the, not yeah. in the comic. Yeah, it's different. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh. Um. Oh. And, and <laughs> obviously, like, right away, in in the end of the, or in the first issue, they established you have to, not necessarily, like... Yeah, Morgan talks about the headshot. Smoosh their head, but yeah. Right. Okay, yep. Well, okay. and interestingly enough, in the hospital, if you notice, Rick broke its neck. Mm-hmm. And he, he realized he had made that one immobile for some reason. So that kind of stuck out in his mind, too. They're slow. We know this much. Mm-hmm. We don't have fast moving. They Well, Rick and Shane get in a little argument about whether they should stay or not. And they decide to stay. But then they say, we need more guns. So Rick and Glenn go on a gun run. And that's when the zombie gore comes in. Uh, they, they, like spread themselves with zombie gore to mask their scent and go into town. But they're saying I don't that they don't know how smart they are. And if it's the scent that they are after or the sound or well they know they react to sound, but you know if how aware they are of, of things around them. Basically well, they it, they don't know all that kind of stuff yet. And kind of jumping when you mentioned the gun run, did Rick's logic kind of hit you as flawed that he assumed in Atlanta City that 
no one would have ever have thought to have looted a gun store. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. That just seemed kind of flawed because Glenn was like, "Man, that makes perfect sense. Let's get in there." Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, they infested city and find a gun store that is surely not looted. And you know, it was flawed, but it turned out in this case, I think it's more the story logic mm-hmm. because it turned out no, it hadn't been looted and they got guns. But I do think that is. Like they they established one rule and then broke another at the same time too with the gore because they like smeared themselves with the uh, with with the mask so that they mask their scent and then they uh, go in there and they're talking the entire time like that wouldn't be a well they mentioned it they actually uh, and this is something I hadn't necessarily caught on earlier reads they do mention you know. That they don't seem yeah, to take Glenn notice. Mentions it, doesn't he? Oh, I think yeah. Right. To their talking, maybe they can't. Maybe they just don't understand. They don't understand it. It just sounds like sound to them. Right. But, but then Rick, at one point, takes an axe to a zombie's face, mm-hmm. and Glenn's like, "What are you right. doing? You don't think they're going to notice that?" Mm-hmm. Right. Um. Have you guys? I could be wrong, but the whole smearing themselves with the zombie gore and getting the stink and going amongst them—that mm-hmm. seemed like kind of a new idea. I hadn't necessarily. I don't think I'd seen that in a zombie movie or something before. Yeah, I, I know I hadn't, but I mean, it seems yeah. logical, but nothing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, no. So that's always something that's definitely stuck out at me in this very memorable scene, and I'm glad they kind of recreated it in the show because that just didn't seem like anything they've tried in a zombie movie before. So, and of course, it would rain. Yeah, it yeah. would. It would rain. But besides that. They're going in to get a bunch of guns. You would think they might come prepared rather than a freaking shopping cart of guns to try and push through a bunch of zombies. That just yeah, was what, was that? what was that? Smash TV? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is old school video games on it. Smash TV. Get the guns, get the cash, get out. Mm-hmm. But that was a little ridiculous. But it, whatever, they made it out. Well, I thought so too. I no, I I thought so too because I was like, a shopping cart is loud. Like, even if the zombies didn't look at that and be like, "Eh, we don't really care for shopping carts." What are these guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) Either way, a shopping cart full of guns and ammo would be the about the loudest thing you could push through a crowd of zombies. Yeah, no kidding. But you know, whatever. Like, I understand their ideas. Yeah, they were just gonna throw it in there and run. It, It feels like Kirkman's also like throwing in some like. And I don't know if he's doing it just to kind of poke the bear kind of thing, but he's he's uh, putting in a lot of like social issues and like political issues, like uh, gun control kind of things. Like, well, everyone should, you know, like Rick's oh, yeah, sure. pro gun. He's like mm-hmm. everybody in the camp needs to have a gun. He's he's survivalist, and uh, and yet he's getting a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's kind of interesting. It's like, well, yeah. do do I give? You know, do I give? Was he? Is Carl six at this point? Seven. Seven. I think that's like. Do I give my seven-year-old son a gun? Right. Uh, we. He's practiced and he's. He knows what's safe. Well, and they but even make that okay. They yeah. even make that scary because Carl's like, runs off all excited. Nobody better touch have touched my gun. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like, that little extra bit to enforce. This is just a little kid. He got bit. Rick got bit, but it didn't go through apparently yeah Yeah, his jacket and then in the backpack strap totally forgot about that yeah and then even like strips off his shirt and was like oh thank god Mm. yeah let's not tell Lori. and leading into that uh there was also some humor which there hadn't been a lot of humor in this so far between with him and glenn not just like glenn vomiting because of the nastiness but they even like 
kind of joke amongst themselves and have a little bit of fun walking into the situation. So I thought that was, that was cool. And so far we don't get a lot of humor anywhere else in it. But it was very, it was very deadpan. Well, yeah. Yeah. As they're, yeah. As they're covered themselves in gore and filth. And then the last thing of import that I have for that issue was, uh, the little interaction with Laurie and Shane when he's trying to comfort her or something because she's worried about Rick. And that's when you find out that they had a night. A night on the road. She moves quick. So does, so does Shane. Yeah. He's got some designs there. <laughs> yep. He's got his eye on her. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the next issue, they start, they brought back the guns and they all start the target practice. Yeah, there's some time jumps in here. You know, like they, they would make mention that we've been doing this for a couple months now mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Yeah, they jump at least three weeks. So they mentioned three weeks, but that's not even necessarily since they've been there. That's just, you know, the last three weeks, so-and-so has improved on yeah. the gun, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, they've been there for a while at this point. You start to have, like, those interactions. This may have happened earlier, but the interactions between the, the ladies, like, when they're doing the laundry. And so then you get that social issue of what's well, not about, you know, it's not about equal rights or whatever. It's about getting the laundry done. <laughs> you know, it's not just about survival now. Now we're, we're comfortable enough where we can gripe a little bit. And it's not even like maybe a little bit with, with Rick's, Rick's gun thing seems a little bit like the writer possibly poking the bear, but also different characters have conflicting social conflicting views on certain things in a way that feels natural to their characters, as opposed to the writer putting an agenda out. So I think that's interesting because it seems like the easy thing is for the writer to put his particular view out through all the characters, as opposed to letting Mm -hmm. the characters breathe and have their own opinions. Mm -hmm. And the one lady always griping about, Mm -hmm. um, when is that that a character that's in the show? Is is Donna in the show? I don't think so. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily her. They do have a a family that's there for a time, but I'm not sure that that's supposed to be their family. And then they part ways when they go to the CDC in the, in the show. I know a lot of those people were lost in the show right away, too, when the big attack happens on the camp. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we lose a lot of that. I also notice in this part of the story moving forward, Lori and Rick no longer seem to really be on the same page. They now seem to be just at odds on almost every issue when they're discussing things. And that's interesting to me, too. And he's there's, like, tension growing with him and Shane. Also, yeah. so and that escalates. That actually, the whole Shane thing period is way quicker than I, oh yeah, than I recalled because he gets introduced. I mean, other than at the very beginning of issue one for like a page, for the most part as a character, he gets introduced in what issue three, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, he makes it three issues, uh, and in that time, we get a bit of the drama between him and Laurie. Mm-hmm. And then the quick escalation between him and Rick, where this disagreement about whether they should move the camp or not, mm-hmm. almost just seems like a, not an excuse, but it seems like an on-the-surface reason that Shane uses to break emotionally mm-hmm. when it's really about Lori. Right. right. Shane's, got a, Shane's got a plan, and he wants to hunker down, and he wants to be the hero and the leader of this. And he admits to that later. 
And it's interesting in contrast to the show where Shane seems more aggressive all the time and Rick seems to be more conservative, at least in the first series of the show. The roles are very much reversed here where it seems like Rick wants to progress and do more things and think a little bit further ahead where Shane just wants to hunker down and be Pollyanna about the situation. Well, and what issue is it? Because, yeah, Rick goes to, as issue four, uh, I wrote Rick starts being Rick, um, starts taking control pretty quick mm-hmm. like within an he's joins up with the group and then an issue later he's already like we need to this isn't safe we need to do this we need to do that you know mm-hmm. um we need to teach everybody how to use guns everybody should have a gun like really quick rick adopts the there needs to be a leader here and and that was almost more shane's idea in the show wasn't it yeah that everybody needed to do target practice but but if we go back to issue one and we look at rick and shane when they're having the standoff with the criminal rick's the risk taker shane's the one that hunkers down mm-hmm. and so we see that reflected even back then yeah yeah that's interesting i hadn't connected that yeah you're right yeah at the end of this issue is the zombie attack which kind of brings everything to a head amy gets bit and in the neck so you know she's a goner uh Lori is about to get attacked and she's struggling with her gun and Carl shoots a zombie uh-huh. and saves her. Um, and the, the art looks like, and I know it's her struggling with the gun and dropping it, but the art looks like she grabs the gun and then just like throws it at the zombie. Yeah. I know that's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that's a flaw of the art, but in my head, that's how that played out. And it made me chuckle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had the Benny Hill theme going through my head when it happened. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then there's Carl and I could be wrong, but it's almost like he had a smile or something. <laughs> it well, you know, and that brings me to kind of what I was thinking about the story is really, you know, once Rick reunites with Laurie and Carl, to me, Carl almost becomes more of the focus of this volume than anything else. To me, he mm-hmm. he turns more of the story, you know, keeps things going and interesting mm-hmm. over all the other conflicts I see. Kind of a jump back, but something that happened in the in the the comic that didn't happen in the show, like. Uh, maybe it did. Uh, you know, I haven't rewatched season one in a while, but they went through and they introduced all the characters and what they did. Uh-huh. Kind of gave some of their story in that whole campfire setting. And I really liked that. And I don't know if I remember there being campfire scenes, but I don't remember it being that straightforward. Uh, here's who yeah, I am. Right. Here's right. my backstory. Mm-hmm. But it was, or, you know, it, I could see that actually playing out in real life where people mm-hmm. would be like, well, here's who I am. Yeah. It's exposition, but at the same time, it's like not forced exposition. Mm-hmm. Or when then you had Jim, who's character. just like mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. But he was already traumatized before Rick ever got there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think in some ways he was the most realistic to me because I don't know how buddy buddy everyone would get in that situation. You are depending on one another, but like Carol's story, she seemed really quick to just dive right into it for a few panels, you know, which isn't much to us, but you're getting the sense that she's just opening up about everything like every other character is. And, you know, uh, Jim's the one who's got the PTSD. He's the one that's still held back from these horrors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Comic versus show. I think, I think it was interesting that I like seeing the decisions they made to write the, uh, write the show differently, change characters, introduce other characters. Mm -hmm. They obviously, I mean, there's a very strong, hint that Carol's husband was abusive because she says mm-hmm. something and then kind of trails off and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. we know what that is. 
And then the show, I like their decision to be like, she had this abusive husband. Well, what if he's still there? You know, and boom, he's there. He's in the show. He's, he's a jerk. I just like seeing where, cause sometimes they change things for, it just seems like just to change them, which is fine. And then in this case, you'd be like, okay, you could see where that thought process is. Mm -hmm. Like, well, here's some drama we could play with. It's set up. We'll just make him be alive still instead of dead. Right. More show and less tell. Yeah. Um, I I envisioned two very different characters when Carol was relating her story, because in the comic, he's the salesman that can sweet talk anything. And she alludes to an incident or incidents where he even sweet talked her back into the household. mm -hmm. Where in the show itself, this was a hard fisted, very brutal man that was going to keep his family close and keep them under his fearful watch where comic book husband of Carol seemed very much oh uh, yeah the the poison dip tongue you know he's he's able to lure you back in even when you get away and i think he was almost more interesting to me just learning about this character through reading it leading up to who was it that not Aunt amy who got bit amy got bit amy, amy. amy. Yeah. leading up to that um i like the page before that actually boom happens um, you've got, and again, sorry for names, Donna, mm-hmm. uh, the one that's like, yeah, one of those three in that RV, Amy gets, Amy's like, I got to pee and gets up to go pee. And then you've got the panel of Donna just giving her like a dirty look mm-hmm. where you're just like, she just hates that girl. Mm-hmm. And then you flip, which, and reading it this time, I didn't realize that Amy got bit right after that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, that's, you know, I like that, that there's that's just that panel. It's just this little character thing. doesn't serve anything. It's just this panel of her being disgusted with her. But then, yeah, you flip the page and she's getting bit. Yeah. I, I just like stuff like that mm-hmm. where it's like, well, that little panel of character stuff doesn't really matter because now this character's dead. But yeah, I just, I don't know. The whole. Well, put- it's realistic too. Like, you know, your prejudices or whatever you feel this is still going to read on your face and then the terrible thing happens and you're still going to have to react to it and, Mm -hmm. and even deal with your ugly side. Mm -hmm. Which she does at the the funeral where she has to kind of backpedal on her own behaviors. Mm -hmm. Also Jim gets bit. That's like the very end is him being like, it's just a scratch, Mm -hmm. which it's not, it's a bite. Um, and then, then well, next- he says it's just a scratch, and then the next panel is like a close up, and it's this huge bite, yeah. mouth size chunked like, out bones of bones exposed. Yeah, tis only a flesh wound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That went through my mind. Mm-hmm. And then issue six starts with uh, the funeral for Amy, and then uh, a little bit of there's Jim in the in the camper, and they're like you know checking mm-hmm. checking on him and whatever, and discussing how long he might have. Eventually, I guess he just comes to accept that. He's going to die eventually, and he wants them to take him out to Atlanta and just leave him be so he can turn into a zombie and be with his family. I I enjoyed that quite a bit because it's a flip on the usual zombie, you know, if I get bit, shoot me, you know, I don't want to be one of them, I don't want to be one of them. It's like a flip on that where he's just like, my family's probably zombies, just let me turn into a zombie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll be with them, yeah. 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 I thought that was interesting. And then they the, come back and go hunting. The big Shane thing. Yep. And Shane flips out. And I'm pretty sure Rick doesn't really know anything about that. The, the Shane and Lori stuff. No, at that point, it's, no, it seemed like Daryl had mentioned it. He shrugged it off as like crazy old man. Dale. Dale. Yeah. Not Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. Um, 
it, <laughs> it seemed like Daryl mentioned it. And then, yeah, Rick was just like a denial, like, what's this guy talking about? Mm-hmm. Until, you know, this bit where Shane snaps and it goes from this to him talking about, like, like David mentioned, he has this plan. This uh-huh. is what he wanted to do. He had it all plotted out. He's going to hunker down here and get with Lori and the government was going to save them. Yeah. And Rick being there apparently ruined all of it. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, he wasn't supposed to live. Yep. You know, Rick came in there with, you know, this specific argument in mind and then Shane like goes off the rails and he's like, what's going on? I don't understand. Yeah. Which, you know, makes sense, but it was pretty obvious from Shane's reaction that even if, even if there wasn't the whole situation with him and Lori, I don't think he was equipped to handle a zombie apocalypse. Oh, no. At all. So he wasn't He wasn't going to stay stable anyway. And then Carl shoots Shane. Mm-hmm. Now, Shane was yelling at him and had a gun pointed at Rick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is after, like, the fist fight, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of shocking that Carl would shoot Shane even at that point. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit. I think that I think that his age really played into it. It's yeah. like you know, I think Carl's way. Well, I know he's way younger than when this whole interaction goes down in the show. But yeah. like his age really made a difference in how he was going to react in this. And, and plus, you know, like with the day before, he had just shot a zombie, and he's been practicing with a gun, and he and he's a child, so it, you know, shooting a person probably didn't. Seem like as big of a deal to him till he till it happened till it happened right because he even says it's not the same as shooting the dead ones yeah yeah which is you know good yeah for the kid it shouldn't yeah. be when this is after he had shot uh, one to save his mom mm-hmm. right and that's it that's the end of the whole thing yep with that yeah. moment mm-hmm. that's where they end it yeah it's crazy I mean it kind of makes sense because. In timeline of the story in the comics, they've, they're they there for at least a month, some unspecified number of time, or amount of time, they're at this camp. It's crazy that Shane is in three issues, and in the TV show, Shane's a major character through the first two full seasons. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, they change him, him and Carl in that whole interaction, because Shane's around so much longer... Like it's it's a totally different dynamic that whole the way that whole thing goes down. It's almost like a like a you you should be he he's almost like uh, treating Carl like a pseudo stepson for a while there, yeah. and that, we don't get any of that in this in this version. You don't see him buddying up to Carl really. I mean, he's been there for Carl, but we don't see that connection in the comic. Mm-hmm. So he's, it's not, he's never forced to choose. It's just like a fear reaction. Okay, so Melanie is up to current on Walking Dead, so she likes this. Um, right, right. This is the third time I've read it, so it's obvious I've, I like it. I've tried to read past, I've, I've read a little further into the series before and just fell off at some point for some reason. But I really like this first issue, I think it's, or this first um, trade. It's a super strong start to a series that obviously is still co- going now, what, 13 years later? No, well, yeah, they're in the like volume 20 or... They're, I mean, it's more than yeah, 20. 20. Yeah, was I just seeing 23 out? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, it's, it. it's 140-something? 
140 issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and for a while, they were they were going two issues a month, which is crazy for indie. I mean, you know, as far as you can look at it as an indie, I suppose. But so is the show lending to that, or is it carrying that weight on its own with that amount of success? Uh, I think. I think it got there without the show because they hit issue 100, I want to say before the show started, maybe around the same time, and it was a huge issue, amazing sales, and it seemed like shortly after that they started double issues per month, but I definitely think the show has helped. I I don't think it's helped as much as you would think because apparently TV shows don't really contribute that much to comic book sales, same with same with movies. But it's got to have helped, you know. AMC apparently does not, like, has taken a stance. And I heard this maybe third hand on some podcast. I don't know. But apparently AMC has made a point not to advertise that it's based on a comic book. And they do not, Mm. not that they don't want it known, but they have taken a stance that, no, we're not going to highlight that fact at all, which is really crappy, I think. You notice it is AMC's Walking Dead and not Robert Kirkman's. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, that's always very strongly pointed out. Yeah, and that's the last uh, credit in the opening credits is the the three people that are kind of credited with right. the creation. But it's the very last thing you see. But I, it's nice. Kirkman is still um, so closely tied to the show, though. He writes right. for the show. Right. So that's yeah. really nice. And also, like, like... If he, if he wasn't a fan, if he wasn't tired of zombies, then like, it's crazy that he was putting out two issues of Walking Dead a month and writing the TV series at the same time. And he's, he's writing the spinoff too yeah. now, isn't he? Is he? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that, that gives me more hope for the spinoff, actually. I didn't realize that. Well, and you know, he said, he made an interesting point when they asked him about that, kind of revisiting these storylines, and he said he's having fun playing in his own sandbox because he gets to correct the mistakes he didn't get to initially. Oh, yeah. Things that affected the story arc later on, now he gets to make it go a different direction. Jesse, what was your your, uh, final thoughts on this first trade? On the the trade itself? Yeah. It's it's really hard for me to separate it from the show, Mm -hmm. uh, but... But because I saw the show first, and so I was I was struck by oh, both both how um, similar they were, especially right off the bat, mm-hmm. like 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 how true they kept it, but yet how different it is too. You're like I think the beginning is almost spot on, the same to a point. Yeah, it's really close. It's pretty crazy how close it was and then when it starts to diverge it you know it diverges in interesting ways and i i like each one individually for different reasons you know there's there's certain things i think the comic did super well and i don't know how it you know like maybe it affected the storyline in a way that robert kirkman wanted to change it you know or they just changed it because it would work better for television or that just happened to be the way that they wrote it. Cause I know they also dropped that writer right after that first season. No, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be an enjoyable segment to do, you know, to read ahead. Cause this is the only one that I've read. Um, and I, this would be the second time I've read this one, but uh, I have, you know, I have digital copy uh, from the humble bundles that they've been putting out of all of them. And now I finally, 
can give myself the, uh, a reason to read them all. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how it goes. Cause I know like later on when we're introduced to Michonne and some of these other characters, you know, like the people that had read the comics were super excited. And so I'm hoping eventually I'll be in that boat too, where, where I can get caught up and say, Oh, that character. And how about you, Dave? Um, I'm a lot like Jesse. I had known the comic had existed, but hadn't picked it up. Uh, and when the series got going, I watched it out of interest. And I like how some of the characters are flipped on their head in the series from the source material. I also noticed that where in the series you have more quiet moments uh, and more character development. Kirkman really hits the ground running in the comics, at least in my opinion. I've read the first four trades, and I kind of tapered off on it because I wanted to keep the the actual TV series more fresh to me. I didn't want those spoilers mm-hmm. right off the bat. But, uh, yeah, just uh, like to me, Carl in the TV series is not very interesting. In the comic, I loved this seven-year-old. I thought he was a really interesting and uh, a, a neat character. Rick, he... You know, you've got square-jawed Andy Lincoln in the TV series. This Rick, to me, I know you guys kind of compared him to a Disney prince, but to me, he was almost a gainly little guy compared to big hulking Shane oh, yeah, in sure. the comic. Yeah. You know, and to me, Rick was this scraggly little everyday man who, uh, you know, almost seemed to leap before he thought, where in the TV series, you have a a much more thinking Rick. You know, once again, that flipping on the head of the characters. And I found that was interesting. Uh, Andrea, or not Andrea. Uh, well, yeah, Andrea and her sister Amy don't seem quite as militant as they do on the TV series. Uh, Carol is a very young woman. And it's not to make fun of um, the actress that plays her on the show, because I think she's wonderful. Uh, Carol's my favorite character on the show. But, you know, just to see how they've played with type on this and how they've created very different worlds and different backgrounds that line up a lot between what you see between comic and show. But, yeah, I really enjoyed that. So I I think the trade's fun. You know, I, I have a good time with it and I'm looking forward. I think I'm going to pick up some more of the trades that I have and reread those and see what other differences I find between them. And you, Randy? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I enjoy the story. I think my favorite part, I mean, other than, other than like the story has got to be good or else it's just, you know, some good art. But I think one of my favorite aspects is the art in this first trade. It's just really well done. The, the panel layouts aren't usually super stylized, but I've noticed a couple really interesting things in the panel layouts that I, that I enjoyed that I hadn't necessarily noticed in other comics like one conversation will be spread across two panels and that's not totally unique but i don't know just done in kind of a simple subtle but striking ways i'm excited for this excuse to read further into (laughs) the series and you mentioned you mentioned the uh, art and i'll just reiterate that uh like tony tony moore's splash pages like that Mm. that uh that full page where they get back to atlanta and you see the tank I mean, it's the only time that the tank even comes into play in the actual comic. You know, it has this huge role in the survival of, of Rick when he first gets to Atlanta. But in, in the book, it's just there. Mm-hmm. But it's such a striking image mm-hmm. that, of course, they had to do something with it. And I think the black and white really helps to yeah. highlight, especially in the uh, particularly in those like that splash page, highlight all the detail he put into the art. 
all the all the stupid flies, all the thousands of flies, all the zombie gore. Not that it wouldn't look good with color, but when it's just black and white, like it really, I think, highlights all those details. It really does make it a dead world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When even it's you know it's like apparently they must have had some kind of falling out, Tony Moore and and Kirkman, but. You know, like he he gives Tony Moore some serious props in the intro introduction to the first volume, at least the the copy that I have. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, I don't think it's unwarranted at all. I'm I am interested to see how the new how the art goes forward because I like I said I haven't read beyond this first one, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to see how the art changes. And it does, I don't know if it has anything to do with anything, but uh, just having the two, the two things that we read this month were interesting bookends to each other. You know, you had the really classic style Marvel with superheroes and supervillains and origins, and then you jump to modern, a little more modern, well, way more modern storytelling, and uh, it was like really easy to read. Like re- uh, between the two. It took me a long time to read Bring on the Bad Guys, even though we read only half of it. And then Walking Dead was just a breeze after that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And the page count's not all that different. You know, if you look at just pages, uh, one's not really that much longer than the other. I don't want want to draw, uh, like, comparisons where there are none, but uh, do you think that uh, the Shane and Rick thing bears any resemblance to the Loki-Thor situation? A little bit. Um, Maybe more Cain and Abel, I don't know. Because there's definitely the... I mean, in both cases, there's the jealous for what he's got. And I could do this if it weren't for the golden boy in my way type attitude in both. Kind of, I could see that, yeah. No monogram tunics, gentlemen. There's just no comparison right there. See? Good point, good point. And we need to relook at the eyebrows. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shane didn't have Professor X eyebrows. So. Shane, Shane needs, we needed more thought bubbles of how jealous <laughs> of <laughs> introspection <laughs> going on yeah. about his evil plots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how can I, how can I foil Rick? Shane thinking, is it pronounced Dormammu or Dormammu? <laughs> <laughs> now, Shane lasting two seasons in the series ver- in the TV show versus three, three issues. Now, I think season two has pacing issues, but I'm glad, like, it makes sense for TV series to take and latch onto that drama and draw it out more, because if they'd have stuck with the pacing of the comic book, it would have been like, bam, 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 and I think, I don't know that it would have worked in a TV series. Well, if it's going to be one for one, why watch the series? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no point to it. That's all I got for Walking Dead and bringing out the bad guys. For this month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. It's coming up. And uh, you, you're toying with the idea of doing a, a podcasting panel? I really want to. It's just I'm having a very hard time forcing myself to send that email. It sounds awesome. I do, like, yeah, we're toying with the idea of doing a panel at the O Comic-Con about podcasting since, you know, that's something something we both can talk about. And it sounds fun. I would have never thought about doing a panel, but after the last convention, I was like, you know, I bet, I bet, I could, I bet we could do it. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other hand, public speaking is horrifying, and I'm like, 
part of me is like, yeah, I really want to do it. Send that email. And the other part of me is like, as soon as I do, I'm going to be like, why did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) And I've got a month of dread, but I don't really think it'd be that bad. So I'm going to send the email. Do it. I can, I can help you with the format a little too. I think, I think if we, if we like co-moderate almost Mm -hmm. where when it comes to tech issues, I'll just ask you questions and then all you have to do is kind of respond to them. And then the rest of the time you can kind of moderate and just ask us questions and we can just respond or whatever. Yeah. I I think, I think once actually in it, I think it wouldn't be too bad. And yeah, I definitely, I mean, I don't think we'll have trouble filling the time. No. And then we'll have, I mean, then we'll have an audience and they'll have questions. Mm -hmm. So we'll just answer them. Like I mentioned at the last convention I went to and went to panels, there was even a panel about podcasting and a panel about um, some other kind of related thing where it gave me ideas where I was like, I like that they mentioned that, but I really wish they'd have took it further and mentioned that. So it definitely gave me like a basis for if we're going to do a panel about podcasting, here's, you know, from the limited experience I've had at panels, here's what worked in this panel. Here's where they probably should have took it further. So yeah, I think, you know, I think it's doable. Yeah. Well, and you've, you've, uh, you know, you've launched how many podcasts? Uh, a couple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A yeah, couple. So, um, so you know, the openings of how to create a podcast pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's what most people are interested in. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's probably true. Is how do I get started? Yeah. So that, that, that could be a thing. It could be a thing. Keep, keep your, keep your ears to the ground. I'm going to record it too. If that's a thing, there's no way. I'm oh, not yeah. Gonna record oh it. yeah. Got you. I see. I mentioned it on the podcast so that to force your hand. Yeah, hey, see that's good. See what I did there. I didn't use thought bubbles to announce my bill, <laughs> but it was there. <laughs> Wood magic spell is this. <laughs> Wood magic spell is this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, for sure. Oh, before we do movie quotes, uh, we should you know, conclude with uh, thanking Dave for coming on. Oh, Thank you guys gosh. for having me. I appreciate it. Share, sharing a Sunday evening with us. Yeah. I yeah. hope I contributed well. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, thank- and we, I think, you know, like we've toyed with the idea of doing a swamp, like bringing back swamp studies as a bonus to like talk about the movie. And say Alan Moore himself is never a bad thing. So yeah, I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah. I, and, and I really, I'd like to do more movie, not necessarily in the, in, in Grawlick's prime, as Jesse would say, but I'd like to do more movie talk. That'd be, that'd be great. And horror movies is something that's, you know, we can always talk about horror movies. Like Grawlick's drive through or Grawlick's nights drive through. Yeah. Grawlick's by night. (laughs) Grawlick's by night. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, and Swamp Thing. I'm really, I, we should, we should definitely watch Swamp Thing sometime. When there's two of them, there's two of them that can, and you've I mean, got those those Mimiverse movies. Oh yeah, Th- that should happen. All right. Well, we'll have to. I'll, we'll have to coordinate sometime. Um, we can come up and have a movie night of sorts, if you wish. And yep. Then do some 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 movie talk. Yeah, that got way more conversational than I had intended for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. So I'm gonna come to your house. <laughs> Next Thursday, I'm bringing nachos. (laughs) (laughs) This is why. This is why I must edit these things. (laughs) Oh, what the technical difficulties aside? What? (laughs) What? 
Oh yeah, that was oh that was rough, man. I'm I'm glad. I'm sorry. My my theory was that with new internet and new uh, microphones and new everything, there would be no problems. What? And I I know better. I think I blame Thor. I think you're. <laughs> Who doesn't blame Thor? Thor. It's him. I bet his I bet, fancy monogram tunics. I bet he's got perfect internet and perfect <laughs> MacBook. And you know he does. Milner isn't just perfect. for lightning anymore, kids. <laughs> perfect, perfect hair, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as Melanie would say, blonde. Blonde. Mm. Yeah. Blonde. Nothing more evil than that. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think she likes blondes either. <laughs> we kind of picked wow. that up on well, this. Was, well, yeah, I mean, was, this isn't the first a, time she's mentioned it. It was a Thor spot for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Thank you, Dave. Definitely appreciate it. I've been excited thank to you. have you on the show. We've been wanting to have you on for a while, mm-hmm. and, and it just never worked. And Oh, thank so, you very much. Yes. This is fun. Hey kids, Randy here checking in one last time before the end of the show to let you know that uh, after this episode ended, we actually recorded about another 10 minutes of what was probably the funniest stuff in the whole episode. Instead of trying to find a nice place to splice that back in, I figured I'd throw it up on the YouTube channel as like bonus content, supplemental. So you should definitely go to youtube.com slash Podcast and check that out. And since I'm here, I also should remind you, send us some email. We'd like to start reading listener mail on the show. Letters, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-S, letters at GrawlixPodcast.com. This has been Randy. There are two types of people in this world, those who like Grawlix and those who don't. This is Jesse. Grawlix him, Grawlix him, Grawlix him. He's, you're cool, Grawlix him. This is Melanie. And gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the Grawlix room. This is Dave, and uh, in honor of my son, get to the Grawlix! Thank you for listening to the Grawlix Podcast. The Grawlix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vocal Arrow Studios. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives, 4.0 International License. To hear more, visit RollixPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast and like us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Podcast. I like how we're location B. It makes me feel like I keep thinking of like a 1980s G.I. Joe, like Cobra bunker we're in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like we're, you know, cause everything was underground for Cobra. Yeah. Like this area is going to twist up out of the soil and have like giant serpents <laughs> except, sticking out of it. Except for Cobra law, which apparently is impossible to find, but unless you like stumble upon it, it's like a, its own country. Yeah. But no one's searing anything to their face in Cobra law. True. Yeah. So they they've got their them. stuff together they and they're all state graduates. <laughs> <laughs> and they, just, they just wear like polished chrome helmets so is that where spider-man did he go to he went to empire you he went to empire you okay and then in and i'm thinking of like when you guys were talking about latveria i was thinking of uh, wakanda with t'challa and i'm like wondering is he in like homeroom with like doom and reed or like getting mad at each other in science class <laughs> yeah, yeah. T'Challa's like i ain't staring nothing <laughs> And he went to his Black Panther meeting. Yeah. It's all about about race. Really happy guy there. He's like, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You love all. (laughs) It is really hard not like.
playing with things in I'm here sorry. right now. I, this is like the I room known, of wonders. Yeah, if I when we were recording in the office, oh, I might have picked up there a little bit. There are all it's manner like, of just fun things here. I'm like, I just like want to pick up everything and look what at it. What is this? Yeah, I've got a dragon with a letter opener. We've got a fire starter here. We are set. <laughs> we're good. Oh my Coffee mug. <laughs> and I think sorry. I have the after credits clip to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Kiefer's Office of Wonders. A map to Cobra Law. <laughs> a map to Cobra Law. <laughs> it's like needful things up in this. <laughs> I was once a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs>